For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. So front of all of the papers this morning, oh well, actually, some of them do carry the whole Storm Agnes story on their front and inside pages, so I don't need to tell you any more about that. We're living in it at the moment with a storm, uh, well, well, status orange warning. Uh, upswing in gales for Storm Agnes, they're saying. But anyway, uh, I suppose we just learned to learn to live with it. Um, it it's this, this kind of weather is, is nothing hugely uh, you know, worrying from the point of view of being anything new. We just put colours on them now and we give them names. But the story that does dominate the news, of course, is uh, firstly, it was off the Wexford coast and then just off Cork Harbour and the Cork coast. So, for, coast. so first of all, it was a fishing trawler uh, that was bought down in Castletown Bear. God only knows what it was doing for 60 hours before it eventually got to the Wexford coast. Uh, probably took a wrong turn or something, ran aground on a, on a sandbank. But then into the picture arrives the M. V. Matthew. So I'll have some more on this story in a few minutes' time, so I won't dwell on it too much apart from the newspapers. Drug gunners where the army rangers dropped onto the deck of the MV Matthew having fired warning shots to tell them to stop and come to a halt and those on board of course didn't. It's apparently a massive haul. It could be upwards of 150 million euro worth of cocaine. Could be twice or three times that. They just don't know about the purity yet. They're estimating the um, uh, MV Matthews carrying at least one and a half tons of cocaine. Uh, but everybody's talking about the Army Ranger Wing uh, who swooped onto the mothership and were winched down and did an incredible job, an heroic job job were clearly prepared to do it in fact I heard some people say that they're so highly trained that it was well within their comfort zone but certainly the elite force stormed the ship and that's a front page of making the mail today and that could well be the biggest uh, drug haul ever the cork seizure comes after the uh, Wexford fishing trawler ran aground and of course all sorts of alarm bells but they were being watched anyway uh, these guys were being monitored by all sorts of services a uh, huge cocaine haul hidden on a cargo ship is the front of the independent today the examiner has some really good detailed coverage blow by blow as to what happened so does Barry Roach uh, in the Irish Times in fact he's got a couple of new angles to the story that I hope to talk to him about uh, a little later this morning but uh, drug ship docks Uh, is the echo story because this is a a, a huge big container ship that came across the uh, Atlantic and it is now in Cork Harbour and it's being very closely examined not just the ship itself or on board or in the hold or anything but divers will be going down as well uh, to check the whole of it to see if there are any attachments to the MV Matthew. So all of the papers today very much front and inside pages and they call it the high seas in this morning's sun but they spell the word seas differently obviously because they spell it S-E, cocaine line, Z-E and the army rangers um, 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 boarding and raiding the mothership. So all of the papers this morning are dominated by that. Meanwhile, there are some other stories obviously making the news today and includes the childcare providers who travelled to Dublin and there were many of them, thousands of childcare providers uh, closed up shop yesterday uh, and went to protest outside Dáil Éireann demanding east increased funding. That is also a story I'll be coming back to later on so I won't dwell on it much now. And the search continues for Kieran Quilligan. What happened to him? Where is he? It's three weeks since the search began and it continues uh, primarily down around the Little Island area, although not exclusively down that area. But the 47-year-old hasn't been seen since he left a homeless shelter in Cork three weeks ago. Uh, and the, uh, I think actually RT are doing a crime call specific appeal on him um, also 
um, next Monday. Sorry, actually, it might have been even Monday gone. I didn't actually see it. Forgive me, it possibly has already been aired. Uh, but the search continues for him as to what happened and where is Kieran Quilligan. But there's a tragic story uh, making the papers today of a TikTok challenge. Now, strangely, uh, some of the newspapers go into the actual detail of how to do the TikTok challenge. I'm not going to do that. Uh, it's called chroming, but it does involve unfortunately, sniffing aerosols. And a 14-year-old child over from the County Clare died on Monday night after she was placed in an induced coma, having been moved from County Clare up to uh, Dublin, to Beaumont Hospital, where she then passed away. It's uh, TikTok. We all know of TikTok challenges. Some of them are fun. Some of them are a laugh. We know of the ice bucket challenge and other ones like this. But this is very serious stuff. TikTok were contacted about this and they said that they do their very best to take all harmful or damaging content down. But they miss this one, chroming, as in a particular way uh, to sniff aerosol canisters. And she has died uh, because of this social media challenge. And she's not the first child. She's a 14-year-old girl from County Clare. Apparently a teenage girl in Australia also passed away doing this channel challenge, as in inhaling toxic chemicals and collapsing. Um, I imagine, and I don't know because I haven't seen any of these, but would they, they would film it as well, I was imag- imagine, as part of the TikTok challenge. Uh, a lot of different stories this morning involving um, how we get from A to B uh, in more ways than one. One of them is an interesting one in The Independent that says, cars are getting so big now, particularly the ballooning size of SUVs, that the weight of cars should be taken into consideration with regards to car tax. Uh, now, the sale of petrol and diesel cars very much still outstrip electric vehicles, but there will come a time when that will flip the other way, and it probably will be in the next few years. Not just hybrid, but full electric, electric particularly when more and more uh, charging stations are put into place and people get over range anxiety. And the other story then with regards to travelling or getting from A to B is the Home Secretary in the UK. Some might say she's brave, others are saying maybe well out of line, but then again, others would even suggest that maybe the truth hurts because she's talking about the massive amount of immigration into the UK or indeed other parts of the world and all across Europe. She goes very close to saying that we have seen in the past that multiculturalism, and I think you can see that very much in America, has not and does not work. She's saying there's a big difference between somebody wanting to claim refuge in another country because they're persecuted, and that's acceptable, but it is not acceptable to wish to do so because you just want a new life. So that's very interesting. They've had all sorts of problems, of course, in the UK with regards to boats crossing uh, the English Channel, and that makes the front page of a lot of the British newspapers this morning. But I talk about anxiety, and I talk about people who, um, you know, get the fear and things like that. We have raised generation apparently particularly Generation Z those born between 1996 and 2010 who get the heebie-jeebies if their mobile phone rings. So according to the Washington Post they have now compiled a list of the top 10 rules for phone manners and one of them is that if I want to call you I, I assume that doesn't this does not apply to my family members. But if I want to call Seamus or Kevin or Claire or a buddy of mine or anyone like that, um, I first must text them and tell them, can I call you? Are you okay to take a call? I cannot just impromptu pick up the phone and ring them. There's a very good chance of the person on the other end of the phone not answering it because they're unprepared for it. 
they didn't get notice of it they're shocked at it and they will let it ring out think apparently get their composure together breathe deeply and call me back well, is this a job interview? No, this is back now. <laughs> is this, this a phone call? Like, just no, pick up the, just no, pick up the phone. You can't, you can't do it anymore. You All you have to, to do is say hello and then listen to what they have to say. You like have to text before calling. There's more. According to the Washington Post, you must always warn the recipient by text before you call. Prepare them in advance by text for the topics that you might be covering with them. I mean... Sounds like my job. If, if that's a business call, I can half understand it. Ah, but like I, But if it's a personal call, you know I'm what? going to call you. We're going to talk about going out on Friday. Uh, what we're going to, where we're going to go. Um, you know, where you're planning on going on your holidays. Be prepared. I, it, there is, a, a, there is a, especially amongst my generation, this massive anxiety around phone calls. I don't, I don't get why people are so afraid of picking up the phone. Like, people are going on voice note you. Voice note, like you hear people, then they have there's six or seven minute podcasts. You know what I mean? You're having to listen to their voice. I don't note mind those actually. I don't mind voice messages. Head. You have to try and remember everything they say in the voice note. Then at least with the text, you can go back and like reference it. Whereas with a voice note, you've forgotten half of what they said by the time the, you get to the, the end. The etiquette of it. now says, I don't know about voice notes, but it says, do not leave voicemail. Apparently, there is an ever growing amount of people your age, your yeah. generation, who delete voicemails without listening <laughs> to them. They find them upsetting they get anxious uh, they get anxiety <laughs> huh? I mean I what would they be like I, in a real emergency I don't want, yeah I don't want to laugh because like you know I'm sure there are people are genuinely Why? Yeah, genuine but there's an awful lot of people just 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 get on with it like I don't I don't personally I don't listen to voice notes or uh, not voice notes but um, voicemail vo- I haven't checked my voicemail in about 15 years I'd say why I just if, if I see somebody ring me I'll just ring them back do you know what I mean? But like, would you not want to know what they're saying on the no, voicemail? No, just I'll find out when I ring when they pick up the phone. Like maybe it's that I'm right, you know working it. in a you job where I'm on the phone all the time. It doesn't bother me. But like I, I always would go for phone calls. You know what I mean? No, there's certain people who will not be named. Who sometimes you know you'd want to block book an hour of your day when you pick up the phone to them. Do you know you just know we it's going to go on for the rest of your life. But the vast that. majority yeah, of yeah. people just I, I, I'm a, I'm a caller, but I don't, I don't understand why the anxiety that people have Mental. well I can tell this now to anybody in my contact list if you think I'm going to text you letting you know what we're going to be talking about before I pick up the phone apparently apparently the new etiquette you must warn in advance anyway we'll leave it at that for now text 0868104106 we got lots of traffic all morning I heard Casey do loads on traffic he may well have mentioned uh, that there's trees down at Kilcully Bridge it's not passable and there are trees and power lines down uh, by the uh, Blackman pub as well and I did see another one come in this morning. Let me just get it here. Uh, so you, you may know of it, but if you don't, just be aware of it, that there are trees down in many other areas. And amongst them, there uh, there's a tree down on the road as well, down around the Ballinhasig area. If you do come across other weather or tree or indeed um, driving alerts, um, do let us know. Text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, big uh, drug bust. And of course, all sorts of different state agencies were involved, including, as they put it this morning in many of the red tops, the heroic Army Ranger Wing that swooped onto the ship, the MV Matthew, yesterday, seizing, who knows, 140 million euro worth, 150 could Paul Byrne last night uh, on, um, on Virgin Media was saying could be twice, three times that, depending on the quality of it. Um, and also, we don't even, not even 100% sure of the weight, but certainly in and around one and a half tons. They figure it could be the biggest. Now, I understand 
the most cocaine and most drugs coming from South America get through. But at the same time, it's always good when some are caught. So I actually have uh, a lot to do on this this morning, including uh, Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News, who's going to talk us through the whole story because it's got a lot of different strings to the bow on this one. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So, first of all, and, and I watched your report from Cork Harbour, or from the, you know, looking across over to uh, Cove last night on, um, on on Virgin Media News. But it started with um, a fishing trawler bought down in Castleton Bear that took an awful long, long time to get off the Wexford coast and then ran aground. And then into the picture came a container ship called the MV Matthew. Can you just talk us through all of those bits? Well, indeed, and I suppose... Already, people are, you know, we're just chatting and said, this is a movie in the making. It starts with two men arriving in Castletown Bear. You can just imagine the opening sequence to the movie. And these two strangers arrive in Castletown Bear with a wad of cash. And they're looking to purchase a trawler. They made a deal. Someone said that the trawler could have been purchased anything from about 400,000 to five uh, to a half a million from a very innocent party who just had his boat for sale. Now, these men purchased the trawler and they told the locals that they were heading for Devon. And let's say for argument's sake, as they took off, Devon was to the left, but these guys ventured to the right. And the locals were kind of somewhat bemused that these guys seemed more like city slickers than fishermen. But before we knew it, this trawler became lodged on a sandbank uh, off the Wexford coast. And a couple of miles away, not sure exactly how far, but there was this bulk carrier which had set sail from South America uh, six to seven weeks ago. And she was waiting for the trawler to rendezvous with with the ship. And the plan was to offload uh, a massive haul of cocaine and put basically loaded onto the trawler. The ship would be described in the drugs terms as the mothership. And when the trawler or any other type of boat will come to have a, a load uh, put onto its vessel, that's called coopering. Coopering. But the trawler didn't manage to rendezvous with the mothership. The mothership waited around, and in the meantime, two men on board the trawler were air-winched and they believed that they were rescuing two trawler men who were in trouble but it turned out that they were part of this international drug smuggling gang and they were subsequently arrested. However, the mothership floated around the area waiting, uh, I think since Friday, for the trawler to rendezvous but I suppose she and the crew, or the captain and the crew became somewhat spooked when it emerged they obviously received news that the two guys on board the trawler had been arrested and at that stage they tried to get out of Irish waters and it's then that this major uh, operation swung into place involving the naval service, the customs and the rangers. Okay, they they would have got all the clearance that was necessary right up to government level to go after the MV Matthew uh, and and of course the rangers and the navy and customs and revenue and Gardaí and everything got involved. A couple of helicopters were put in the sky um, and they approached the MV Matthew, right? How far off the coast was this? Not very far, I'd imagine. I believe this was about 12 to 15 miles off the Cork coast. You could be talking maybe Yall, Ballycotton area around there. But just let me just backtrack slightly. All of these people were under surveillance for the last number of weeks. This was an international operation from Castletown Bear 
over to South Africa, South America, into Lisbon, where all of these agencies uh, gather and uh, share intelligence. So these people and the mothership were all under observation and uh, being tailed, uh, possibly by satellite as well, for the last number of weeks. But anyway, so... The green light, the Rangers, the Naval Service and the Customs got the green light to board the vessel. But when the Naval Service asked to come on board, they were denied permission. They just basically wouldn't comply. And the ship tried to get out of there as fast as you can. It's trying to get out of Irish waters, I believe, was it? Trying to, trying to get out of Irish waters. And this was an extremely dangerous situation that the emergency services and the state agencies here found themselves in because basically this ship was turning at a, a, a fast rate. She was tur- churning up the water and she could scuttle maybe uh, ribs that were nearby. But at this stage then, the chopper, it's again, it's like something you see in a movie, only this time, this was for real. It was happening here off the Irish coast, off the Cork coast. The Rangers basically jumped across out of the chopper on a rope down onto the deck of the ship. Now, they didn't even have time to be air winched down. As I said, they, it's like a fireman's pole, basically. They jumped out and dropped down on the rope, armed, took over got the crew on the ground, on the floor, and took control of the ship, went into the, um, the, 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 the cabin or the, where the, the captain is. Yeah. I, I can't think of the, 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 the name of that. That's where they took control then of the ship, and the crew were subsequently detained. However, there were shots fired, though, before they, they approached oh, the bridge, right. wasn't there? That's right. Naval service uh, had to fire shots across the bow of the vessel again to try and get it to comply and to stop, but she failed to do so. And at that stage, then the the naval service or the the rangers boarded. I mean, these guys are like machines. These are the toughest of the tough, the fittest of the fittest. I mean, they're like robots. And they, you know, you you see it in these Stephen Segal movies or whatever it is, and all of this kind of thing. This was for real. Here it was happening in broad daylight, and this is what they've been trained for. But they don't get many opportunities like this to put their skills to work, do they? I understand this was the first time that it actually happened for real. Amazing. And they, they will train on a daily basis, and there's teams and teams, and this squad was uh, put together and just basically told, be on standby, this is a possibility, and there they did. They, 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 the mission was a really, very, really successful one, and they, they then at that stage escorted the ship into the port. But my understanding, Neil, is that somebody called for help from that particular ship 24 hours previously, reporting of being, um, uh, that they were hurt. Yeah, you are right there. Can you, can you hold that? Because that is actually yeah. a story that Barry Roach has in the Irish Times this morning. And I want right. to talk to him a little bit about that in a second. But So thank you for okay. reminding me of that. But how, how do we know what, what's on board? I mean, there's lots of different figures and weight being bandied about. We're hearing um, a cocaine, bales of cocaine, possibly 150 million. Again, it depends on the purity. Um but I know already they're saying that this could be the biggest in the state. We had Dunlop Bay, where these guys on the catamaran, the lucky, the lucky day, you may remember they came into West Cork and the boat, um, there was a major cock-up because somebody put petrol in the diesel up or, yeah. or vice versa. And um, that was 400 million quids worth of cocaine. That was one of the biggest uh, in, the, in the history of the state at the time. So it'll be interesting to see if this figure surpasses that. But this boat... 
is a boat carrier. She's huge. You would often see them anchored off the coast and waiting for clearance to come in to the port. But this will be stripped bare. They will cut open panels because these guys will store bales of cocaine wherever possible. This was a, a multi-agency or an international cartel behind this operation. They're sophisticated and there's also a possibility that there could be drugs in the hull. Divers will go down to see if there's any compartments that were cut out and where the bales could be and there's also a possibility that there could be somewhat like torpedoes attached to the hull because from time to time these bulk carriers carry these torpedo type vessels or yokes under the hull. One became detached from a, a carrier there a year or two ago and ended up near the Shannon Cove, the coast up in Shannon with a load of cocaine. So this boat will be meticulously examined, stripped bare, cut to pieces really if it's necessary and no stone will be left unturned until they're satisfied they've removed every inch of cocaine. Um, and it sits in know, the port of Cork now in the city, does it? She is, she is. If you go down into Passage today, um, you will see her. She's across at the IFI plant, the former IFI plant. Oh, so she's down there. the harbour. And what about all of the crew? Where are all of the crew? They're still on board. They will have been detained, uh, not under arrest. They will be on board until detectives and the Coast Guard and everyone, all the agencies, decide whether these people should be arrested or released. Some of them, I would reckon, uh, knew what they were doing. Others may have just been brought in, um, you know, thinking they were just going for for delivery of a a cargo. But unfortunately, they now find themselves uh, under armed guarding cove, having sailed from the port of the South, South America a couple of weeks ago. Is there a press conference this morning? There's a press conference in Dublin. You'll have the guards, the customs, the coast guard, the naval service, all a joint um, um, press conference in Dublin. That's happening around half past 11. Uh, searching of the ship commenced early this morning. That's expected to take a number of days. But I do remember, again, like any time there, has this, uh, there is this, uh, this massive drug seizure, you will... Uh, possibly have bales of cocaine brought alongside on the quayside for the media outlets to uh, photograph and to film. Because, look, for the want of a better word, the the state agencies will want to show uh, just how successful they have been. And, you know, while it's a major international operation, let's remember this sometimes poisonous drug is off the street and there's a very strong possibility because of the agencies that lives will have been saved because thankfully this won't be going up anybody's nose. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, do stay in touch if there's any updates uh, across the morning, but I appreciate that uh, that explainer for us uh, because there's a lot of different aspects to the story. Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News. One thing that I read in the Irish Times that I didn't read anywhere else is the front page this morning. Barry Roach talks about, okay, on the one hand, that both the container ship and the fishing trawler were being watched, but that the container trip was all over our coastline uh, for the past week or so. Barry Roach joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, and and that, it was, that it was sailing up and down the East Coast, up as far as Arklow, turning around, looking for engine parts, and, and you know, a skipper being injured, taken to hospital. What's all that about? Yeah, the, the background to this is that this boat was changed hands in the last six weeks or so. Uh, as Paul said, it left, uh, left Aruba, uh, which is the Dutch island off, um, North, or sorry, off South America, uh, a boat early... 8th of August thereabouts and went to Curacao, 
Willemstad is the capital of Coracoa, Dutch island or protectorate there again. And then from there it went to Guiana. Uh, but it seems to have disappeared. Then it shows up then off the Canaries in mid-September. But in that time period, it changes from being the MV Hong, Hanman, which is a Chinese-owned, Chinese-registered boat, to the MV Matthew. And the MV Matthew is owned by a company called Matthew Maritime Services based in the Marshall Isles, Islands in the Pacific. The valuation of the boat is $9.5 million. It's a big boat. You know, it was down in... Uh, for Camden yesterday watch you come in it's, it dwarfs the uh, Ellie uh, William Butler Yates I mean, it's, it's, it's a big ship 189 metres long like twice the size of a rugby pitch yeah. but anyway it comes over it's around the Canaries mid-September and then it travels up the west coast of um, Portugal northern Spain up the Bay of Biscay up to Brest in Brittany and the English Channel has two lanes one going up and one coming down apparently it's called the separation zone it crosses that and is off the Irish coast. It goes up as far as Arklow, but it seems it reports it loses power, the engines are conked out, and it drifts from Arklow back down around to Wexford. In the meanwhile, um, it also reports a casualty on board. Somebody has a blackout, falls down the steps, and is injured, and is airlifted off Monday night by Rescue 117, uh, and taken to, not sure, it's a medivac, I'm not sure if it's to Watford or to CUH that the person is taken, but they've since been erect, arrested that, that turns out to be the captain who's an Iranian national. Okay, so that's interesting. He was removed to the CUH um, uh, Monday. Clearly, they were being watched well in advance of that because when he was discharged, he was arrested. He was arrested, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Gardaí and the Naval Service and Customs have been on this for, for some time. Uh, as Paul said, um, I mean, it was rather dramatic. In one sense, it sort of seems to be very well planned. In another way, they're buying a trawler, finalising the sale of a trawler in West Cork in Castletown on Friday and they're heading out for a collection or if that's what it was, we suspect was to happen, they're heading out for a collection over the weekend. So it's short notice. My understanding is that an earlier sale of a trawler fell through uh, on them and then they, they bought this at Castlemore which was up for sale for the last two years in, Cast- in Castlemore. And Bob was saying that the, it was interesting that those that were trying to buy the fishing trawler were kind of suited and booted and didn't look like the kind of people I, who'd be buying a fishing trawler. Well, I'm not sure they I didn't hear that. I, I just heard that they didn't look as though they knew one end of a rope from another. That, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. were going to Brixham in Devon and basically if you're going from Castlemore Bear to Brixham in Devon, Devon you head south east. Uh, these lads seem to have headed northeast, but they're missing for they, they end up on the money height, uh, money weight banks sand bank about twelve kilometres or eight kilometres off Wexford coast on Sunday night. Now they leave Castletown about late Friday night, early Saturday morning. That's about twenty hours steaming at eight or nine knots. It, where are they for the? It, it, they should have been there a lot sooner. So where were they for that intervening period, as it were? Now the weather turned bad, and they obviously had to be rescued when they went aground. But meanwhile, then. We have the freighter or the bulk carrier uh, off, back down around Rosslare and back down the Wexford Water Coast, drifting, coming back down towards Cork. She apparently is heading for Cork to, um, no, that's what they're saying, that they're heading to Cork to get turbochargers for their engine, but it looks as though they're heading back into international waters when the uh, the decision was made to, to border. And as Paul said there in, in graphic detail about the way the Naval Service very bursts of machine gun fire to cross our bows yeah. alter, and then the Elite Rangers come down off the uh, the, the ropes of the helicopters. Uh, it's the interest, it's the history of the boat is interesting, though, the fact that she changes name midway, changes her registration, and she's had a lot of name changes over the last 20 years since she was built in 20, uh, 2001. Yeah, uh, it has all the. Hall- no, the other question is, what was she doing 
um, prior to coming into Irish waters. She's down the Canaries. She's down off the coast of Portugal, off the coast of Spain, off France. The suspicion is that she's a mothership bringing stuff across the Atlantic and she's likely to have several drop-offs. And do you so, think that, are they suggesting that maybe several drop-offs had already been done and that the, she was coming up to us to drop off to the fishing trawler? Yeah, and, and her destination apparently was Belfast when she got lost poor off of Arco. But given my, I'm hearing there's 2.2 tons on board worth 150 million. Given the size of the boat, it would seem to me that they may have had several more drop-offs which may have already been carried out. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. uh, off, I mean, she's around the Canaries for about a week um, in off uh, the uh, west coast of Africa, effectively, and then travelling up. So. Like it's a big boat, you probably, I mean, 2.2 tons of cocaine seems like a lot, but I suspect on the size of this thing, it's a bulk carrier carrying grain or fertilizer or maybe uh, ore or something like that in the normal course. 2.2 tons would be diddly in that, so maybe there's bigger, more consignment. Um, as Paul said, like. Could have been multiples million. of that that they'd already yeah. managed to get rid of. Yeah, I mean, 150 million seems a huge amount, and it's the biggest we've had in, in a long while, but. Historically, going back here, as Paul said, I mean, we've had, I'm just looking here and I was talking to you about when the bales were washed up in Donegal, we had 440 million in Dunlock Bay uh, in 2007. We had 125 million before that in 96 in the um, sea mist down in Ahada. We had 61 million in the Jim Ayers, the catamaran into Kinsale in 98. Uh, and then we had 100, uh, 500 million on board. Uh, Dances with Waves off the Mizzen and then 2014 which was the last really big one we had that was the Micaia Bella off the West Cork Coast brought into uh, Castlestone Bear from my recollection and she had a street value of 290 million on board so 150 million is a lot but it doesn't sort of uh, supersede what we've had previously that said it's going to take several days to search this vessel you'll have rummage teams from the customs and you'll have uh, Gardaí as well searching the question is do this. Obviously, they'll search the holes, but beneath the holes, there are double barrel buoyancy tanks. Will they search in there? I suppose the question is how well do you hide it? If you need to get stuff out quickly, do you keep it just in the hole or do you put it down another layer where you may have to yeah, go? Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Cutting, yeah. Uh, using cutting equipment to get it out. So it'll take several days. It's down there under um, the arm support unit from the Guardi or uh, have cordoned off the area. As Paul said, you can probably see it even though it's crap day, you know, uh, across some passage if you look over at the old uh, IFI plant, it's over there. But it's a big ship. I mean, uh, look at it now, as I say, from uh, Fort Camden yesterday. I mean, she dwarfed anything else in the in the harbour. And she was very high in the water as well, which is the other thing. And I was talking to one maritime expert who said to me she was in ballast, which effectively means that she doesn't have her normal cargo of grain or uh, fertilizer, whatever, because she'd be much lower in the water than that. She's actually very high in the water. There's and nothing but, yeah, you know, which was one of the reasons why, normally or sometimes in these boarding situations, naval parties will uh, throw up ladders and scale up, uh, as has happened in, in other instances. But because she was so high in the water, the only way they could get on board her yesterday was above uh, with the elite army rangers coming out from helicopters on, on fast rope stone. So that's how they took control. I gather. Um, they took control of it. It's a big ship, so search it and securing her took about 15 minutes in total. I gather there's a crew of 16 on board uh, where they are at the moment. I presume they're still on the vessel. Uh, obviously, Skipper has been arrested, is in custody. They've, he's gone down to Wexford where the other two chaps have been arrested. Yeah. My understanding, one of those is uh, English and the other is Eastern European. But it's just a, you know, a dramatic, extraordinary story happening on our doorstep again. Um, you know, we had, went through a phase in the 
late 90s, early noughties where we had all these seizures on yachts and so forth. More recently, we've seen situations where cocaine has been seized coming off container ships uh, into Ring of Skiddy, uh, banana boat consignments and things like that. But this is another move again, and it's quite... I mean, smugglers are very innovative. As Paul said, there are situations that there was a mini submarine washed up in Spain, I think about a year ago, packed full of cocaine. So it's a constant sort of evolving mm. industry in terms of how do you get it into Europe, where obviously there is a huge demand for yeah. it. Otherwise and an ever-growing demand, yeah. And yeah. let's not forget that uh, some of that demand is here in Ireland as well. Barry Roach, thank you so much for taking the call this morning and updating us in different aspects of the story. Barry Roach, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times. More on this after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 Red FM. The Irish Times correctly says that the Naval Service fired the shots across the bow of the container ship trying to get it to stop. Um, that didn't work. The Army Rangers then boarded, of course. And I did also hear that uh, some of the personnel on board the MV Matthew then started, or at least attempted, to start to burn some of the cocaine on board but enough of me retired naval commander Eugene Ryan who was commander of operations for uh, at least 15 years joins me by phone Eugene good morning good morning Neil um, so a, jo- a job well done in many respects but um, I'm, I'm talking to you now with regards to your time at the helm if you like um, and your experience it would be fair to say that the MV Matthew would have been monitored for a considerable period of time even even perhaps coming across the Atlantic maybe Yes, and before I get to that, I just want to congratulate the Defence Forces, Naval Forces, Maritime Section, Ranger Wing, Air Corps, Anor Garda Customs, Coast Guard and Arnalai on a superb job. To answer your question, yes, uh, when we when I did the um, the second job uh, in 2008 that I did, the uh, Dances with Waves, uh, which was the yacht that, that we, we boarded 132 miles off the coast, we monitored her for one month before she arrived in Irish waters. She left Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, we had intel that she was leaving, and we had satellite communicate um, satellite ob- um, surveillance of her coming across the Atlantic. So, between aircraft from different countries assisting us, uh, satellite um, information from the United States, uh, and our own uh, vessels and our own Air Corps aircraft, we were monitoring her, particularly in the last week and a half before she arrived close to the Irish coast. So yes, our Navy would be, we would have known about this large vessel for about a week. And Dances with Waves was well over 400 million euro worth at the time and there was others, you know, the, the whole Dunlock Bay seizure and Barry Roach had yes. listed off loads of them uh, in the past that could, I think the ones he listed off could total maybe one and a half to two billion euro worth of cocaine. Unfortunately and sadly, still a drop in the ocean, however. It, it would appear now that we've moved on to container ships, where I hear that actual drug producers and smugglers pool their resources now to get cocaine to Europe. Is that true? It, it is. Uh, and I, the, the reason for this is the Maritime Analysis and Operations Centre, Mayock End, which, by the way, the final agreement was, was finalised in Cove, in the in the Commodore Hotel. I, I was one of the founding members of Mayock End, and the agreement was signed there in 2007. Now it's based in Lisbon uh, since 2007. And what that does is it pulls all the in, intel from the seven countries involved, plus the United States and other agencies around the world, and decides which country uh, the vessel is going towards and to hand it over to that country to to effect the interdiction. So um, what's happening now is we're controlling that to a degree. So 
conventional means of bringing it up via, uh, you know, smaller vessels, yachts, yachts and smaller cetera, boats, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's changing. So they're going to big container ships like this big bulk carrier. Um, and, you know, I, I hear from my former colleagues that it is the belief that the trawler that was used in one of the Castletown Bear was possibly going to, to cooper the, the, the drugs off the south coast. But because the weather was so bad or the forecast was so bad, they decided to divert to the east coast for some shelter. Mm. So the, you had this big bull carrier then roaming around trying to find the trawler. And that's when tragedy happened, the, um, mm. the trawler. So, yes, it, it, these big ships, and you see the vessels coming into Money Point, etc. They have, some of them have on them, and it's, we've, we've detected them and we found them, these torpedo-like containers stuck to the hull magnetically. So as they approach the Irish coast, they will release them, and they fall to the, the ocean bottom, the ocean floor, and they're on a timed release. Oh, my God. And once the time is up two or three days later, a week later, a month later, whatever, they release and the, the drugs flow to the surface. And certain people around the coast uh, would go out with their vessels, pick up the drugs and bring them ashore. That happened in Donegal recently. I also heard a story last night of more and more submarines and submersibles coming across from uh, South America literally under the sea, completely undetected, yeah? Well, no, the, the ones that we're aware of are semi-submerged, semi-submerged because they're unmanned, so some part of the the the, um, the submarine, if you like, has to be on the surface so the satellite can control its direction and where it goes. Yeah. So, so they feed in what they call waypoints and it brings it right across the Atlantic unmanned. But they're mostly going towards Africa, southern Spain, uh, because they're coming north now, Mayakan and all the navies around the area involved with Mayakan, including our own, uh, are, have controlled the, the waters sufficiently to make sure that the balloon is squeezed, if you like, yeah. and the stuff is going into Africa now instead of... But it is coming up through Africa then okay. into Spain. Yeah, good. A, a job well done yesterday and indeed over the last week. However, it, it doesn't go without being noticed that we have eight naval ships. Six of them are continually tied up in the port. They can't get staff because of paying conditions. Um, nearly 400 million worth of naval ships are literally tied up, even though we control waters eight times the size of the country of Ireland. This is not good enough. I absolutely agree with you. And in fact, having spent 40 years in the Navy, 15 of which was as Commander Fleet Operations involved with drug interdiction. When I joined the Navy in 1972, there were 350 people and 32 officers and four ships. But when I retired 2012, 40 years later, there were 1,200 ranks, all ranks, eight operational ships. So in my 11 years of retirement since 2012, I've seen the Navy decimated in front of my eyes to approximately 700 personnel and two operational ships, even though we've never had newer ships and we've never had better ships, but they're lying alongside, as you say, wasting taxpayers' money. It's an absolute disgrace. And is it because they just can't attract people into the Navy because of pay conditions and things like that? That is the main problem. I mean, Carl Berry said in, in, in the Dáil, in, in the Oireachtas uh, Committee, uh, rec- Joint Committee on Foreign Affairs and Defence recently, and he's absolutely right. The, the, the Naval Service uh, man or woman at sea gets 60 euro per day seagoing allowance before tax. But after tax, 
the person gets approximately 40 odd euro. So they're getting about one pound fifty, one pound sixty per hour for being at sea. So you said Yet the guardie that boarded yesterday. Pick up on that point. The guardie by comparison. I beg your pardon. You were saying what? that by comparison, the guardie and other personnel that boarded yes. yesterday were paid multiples of what the navy would be paid. Well, the guardie didn't board. Well, yesterday, what happened? The guardie were on board yeah. the naval vessel, yeah. uh, and the naval vessel fired on the. Uh, the ship because she refused to stop and she's bound to stop when she's told to stop inside territorial waters. So the people doing the firing yesterday were Navy people. They're getting one euro 50, one euro 60 extra for being at sea, for doing that, handling a weapon, firing at a, at, at, at a suspect vessel. Yet the guards who were with them, and I have no disrespect, believe me, I have the greatest respect for the guards, they're getting multiples, multiples of overtime and allowances above what the Navy people who are doing the firing are getting mm, mm. It, the mind boggles it but, really does but you know but as, as a retired naval commander do you think that smugglers and those involved in this kind of criminality know that we only have probably at any one time only one naval ship at sea they, they may not know that we have only one naval ship at sea, but they would know that we're in trouble uh, from a recruitment perspective. And during the 2007 and 2008, the two jobs I was involved in, once those jobs were secured and we took um, uh, three, three tons of cocaine off the streets, the, the, the uh, criminals decided to go elsewhere. And the, the, the importation or, or the smuggling figures for cocaine dropped drastically in the Irish Sea and in, 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 in our waters. Now, because they know we're so weak, they're starting to come up our way again. And this, by the way, we're leading in now to October, November. This is the harvest is finished now. So the cocaine will be ready in October, November, and you'll see floods of it coming up our way. Believe me. Mm. Michal Martin recently said that while he is worried that the naval service is down to just two operational ships, he hit back and said that the lack of vessels will not lead to American, South American drug cartels exploiting the gaps here. He may well be eating his words this morning now because that's just what has happened. Well, I have great respect for the, the for the Tanishta and Minister for Defence, and I, I don't wish any disrespect to him, but I don't know where he's getting his information. Um, so what would make it right? Clearly pay staff better. It's, if, if, you pay, if you pay people a proper salary, I mean, the infrastructure ashore in the naval base, millions have been spent in the naval base. Accommodation has been boosted. It's absolutely magnificent. The ships are the finest we've ever had. We're built, we've built four new ships over the last 10 years. You know, and we've the best of equipment, surveillance equipment, bar none. And other navies uh, admire us for what we've done. But we don't have the people because we don't pay them. Yeah, yeah. And companies like Pfizer and uh, Stryker and all those will look at our technicians, see how expert they are, buy them out of the Navy, pay their, the, the amount of money they owe the government because they leave before their time is up. And poach them. And, and poach, that's exactly it, poach them. So you'll be, you, will, you will have people, I mean, people approach me in Cove, I'm from Cove, and they tell me I've left after 30 years. I've left after 28 years because I'm, I have a mortgage. I'm finding it difficult yeah, yeah. To, um, mm. to pay. Mm. Mm. It's simple. Mm. Pay the people the money 
that they deserve. Can I, ask, they you just, can I ask you just finally with the little time that I've left and considering all of the work that sure. you've done down through the decades. Okay, and it's good to have a, a, a you know a seizure like this, albeit a, mm. a drop in the ocean. And I don't mean to demean the work that was done, but um, this war is not being won. Sure, it's not. Uh, in in spite no. of seizures like this, they say that only something like ten percent of everything coming into Europe is actually seized. We we believed around the Dunlop Bay and the, and the other job that we 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 got up to about twenty percent that we were we were getting. Uh, I'd say I'd say you're right. There's about fifteen percent is all we're getting now. So you could say eighty five percent is getting in. But is it still worth the effort? Oh, you have well. It, it's our job, of course. It's worth the effort. It's what we trained for, mm. and we have to do this. If we don't, it's a free for all. You'll have people dying in the streets, people rolling around, sleeping in the streets, mm. full of cocaine. It's incredible. This cocaine. I mean, I've worked with it for uh, fifteen years. Cocaine leads on to other drugs like heroin, etc. But cocaine is a destroyer of society. Thank Absolute you. Absolute destroyer. Thanks society. for taking the call, Eugene. I do appreciate it. Thanks, Very Neil. busy day for you appreciate today. It. Thanks for squeezing me. And that's the retired naval commander, Eugene Ryan, out of Cove. Text 0868104106. Back after 10. Your thoughts are welcome. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Okay, by text already this morning, some of them are weather related. It's a disgrace the schools in Cork are open this morning. It's an absolute disaster. For one school in particular, the town is in a flood risk. All of us students are soaked. And we're not allowed to wear our own jackets, only school ones. Most students don't have school jackets. We got destroyed this morning. And that on behalf of students trying to get to school. Uh, Thank you for your calm, reassuring summary of Storm Agnes. I'm slowly calming down now. I signed up for alerts and I received doom and gloom texts, eight of them, about Agnes and the damage likely to follow this storm. It was nerve-wracking. Keep up the good work, Wheeler Bukas. But thank you for that, actually, Bukas. Thank you for that. Um, Sometimes I think that we overly exaggerate things, but then again, it's probably best to err on the side of caution, don't you think? Because you just never know. People mightn't have a clue about the weather and never even look at the weather, and then might venture out in it and not be prepared for a lot of rain and wind. Uh, But you talk about eight doom and gloom texts. Um, Far be it for me to tell you not to sign up for alerts. Uh, That's a personal choice. Um, Anyway, then on the drug fines, or indeed the events that we've been talking about. Yeah, somebody is saying the young offenders are on their bikes to Wexford to find a bale of cocaine. Actually, while that is a joke, people are actually out with binoculars down around the eastern counties thinking that something might be washing up on the beaches. It won't though because there was no handover between the MV Matthew and the fishing trawler. What about the poor guy who sold the fishing boat? Uh, will they take the money off him? Hardly. I mean that was a, a, that was a completely uh, legal and above board sale. Uh, so um, uh, how, how would anybody know exactly what the fishing trawler was going to be used for? Neil, that's why we need our defence forces to have specialist units like the Army Ranger Wing. I'm so proud of the Irish Defence Forces, but I'm saddened that the Minister for Defence isn't doing enough to recruit and retain members of the Defence Forces. Kind regards, says Jerry. Uh, Desi is wondering, does it now mean that CAB... Uh, as in the Criminal Assets Bureau, can confiscate the ship and possibly the trawler as well. 
but you can be damn sure the cab would have an interest in it. Oh my God, this whole topic is so interesting. Well done to all concerned in catching them, says Eilish and Waterford. And one final one now. Why don't the Navy and the Army change the upper age limit to allow people to join like they have in the guards, the prison service and the fire brigade? You know, people in their 40s are very fit these days. It might help with recruitment within our own country instead of looking and recruiting from overseas, says Jura in Fomoy with regards to why they can't keep or even get Army and Navy personnel. So keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Dexter says he's checking or she's checking the Windy app and the wind is uh, due to increase in speed till around 5 this evening. I wasn't talking about wind. I was saying that the rain will back off as we head across the morning and it will be drier by mid-afternoon. It will remain very windy right across the day and indeed this evening. And you're not going to see a drop off in any kind of wind until overnight. In fact, it even picks up again somewhat tomorrow. I'm talking about the wind, back, the, the rain backing off, uh, not wind. Uh, you need to proceed. Because I'm not. I, I mean, you probably have gathered at this stage that I'm not the biggest fan in the world of giving things names or giving things colours. But I suppose others would say, well, if it keeps people safe, what's the harm in it? Uh, so whatever floats your boat. Talking about about floating boats and cocaine coming in uh, from South America, we need to bear in mind that Ireland punches well above its weight per capita with regards to the use of cocaine in all walks of life. We're very much above the average. Only Australia, the Netherlands and Spain reported higher levels of cocaine use than the Irish. We have cocaine use the same as the likes of the United States of America and many countries across Europe and the world. So that's nothing at all to be proud of. And indeed, the number of people contacting uh, the HSC Drugs and Alcohol Helpline in relation to cocaine use increases year in, year out. It's up 17% on the year before. Now, of course, the biggest point of contact, because you guys will be saying it, listen to me now, uh, for help, of course, is alcohol abuse. It certainly is, like 40% of contacts. Uh, But I have to say that the amount of people contacting for drug issues outside of alcohol, particularly cocaine, is on the increase. And that's why the Citizens' Assembly are talking about uh, drug use in Irish society uh, and are not for a moment suggesting that they're going to come back and and, and recommend that we should... um, uh, engage like the Portuguese model or legalize or legislate for the uh, uh, use of drugs in society. But whatever you look at it, the Irish cocaine market is absolutely thriving and we punch well above our weight, as I say, in all walks of life. Uh, so perhaps there should be a conversation about the decriminalization of drug use. Not all drugs, perhaps, but maybe up to and including uh, cannabis and cocaine. You certainly wouldn't be talking about that, about um, a lot of the other opioids, opioids including heroin. Uh, but maybe the Citizens Assembly are, are talking about that. And I was watching the Tonight Show on um, uh, Virgin Media News last night, where there are different members on the panel, and one of them was the... Uh, was the TD Hildegard Nocton and she was saying uh, and others were saying you know the Citizens Assembly are looking at this and uh, you know if somebody takes cocaine or cannabis at the weekend and enjoys it should we be having a conversation about allowing them uh, to do that but then of course what if it develops into a problem and it could develop into a problem and they also made the point last night that no matter what way you look at this 92% of the Irish population don't use drugs Um um, but one of the bigger questions, of course, is, you know, in the event of where we need to try and stop the importation of drugs into Europe, the Irish, um, you know, control of waters around the Irish Sea and the Atlantic, we control a huge amount of water. And the examiner put it correctly this morning. They got a, 
they got a banner online that I just saw there a few minutes ago uh, that was talking about um, smugglers burning cocaine as the army rangers were storming the ship. But more importantly, there was just one Navy ship available for this massive drugs operation, even though we have eight of them. So your calls and texts are welcome on that text 0868104106. Come back to it throughout the course of the morning. Uh, a lot of other topics that we dealt with yesterday, amongst them crashes, trying to get a crash, trying to get a crash place, or indeed many of the crash owners who closed up yesterday and went to Dublin to protest outside the Dáil. We'll have to wait and see if it will make any difference in that regard. Uh, hi, Neil. Why doesn't the government place the workers in creches on the government's payroll completely? Those people teaching young preschool children surely have to have one of the most important jobs in education. Um, Neil, who was, whinging, who, who was whinging in the Dáil many years ago about teachers' salaries leading the norm to employ more con- contract teachers and not pay them during the summer. Um, Parents deserve better due to the shortage of teachers. Some subjects are being impacted in the second level, Suzanne. Part of that text, unfortunately, I don't understand, but I do understand what you're talking about, maybe putting all creche workers on the state payroll. Uh, So keep those coming. Text 0868 104 106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 106 Red FM. And you can text 0868 104 106 if there are any issues or updates for more people to talk to with regards to the uh, seizure of the MV Matthew and indeed that uh, fishing trawler. We will come back to it. But I was sitting yesterday when I got off the air and Seamus um, started telling me the very, very, very sad story of a lovely family who've been hit with awful. Um, bad news and it just seemed for them to go from bad to worse. It's the it's the Fuller family, Sean and Amy uh, who are the parents of three young kids Sasha and Millie and Bo. As they say, a normal working family getting on with their lives, just bought their forever home and then all of a sudden Sean gets diagnosed with some devastating uh, news. A very aggressive cancer which I believe is already at stage four and sadly lads, I hate even saying it, God knows they're living with the news themselves terminal. Uh, Amy Fuller, uh, Sean's partner, joins me by phone. Amy, good morning. Hi, Amy. Good morning. How are How you? How are you dealing with news like that with three small children? Oh, it's, it's been a roller coaster. Um, you know, every day since we found out that news kind of, you know, last week it's been a challenge. Um, we're very lucky that we've such a good support network around us. Um, you know, friends, family, and you can see even you know, the the support that the GoFundMe has brought in has just been incredible. You know, people from all over Ireland, the UK, where Sean's from, a family in Berlin, a family in Jersey, everybody's reaching out and kind of, but you the, know, supporting yeah. us. But the GoFundMe, it's so sad. It says Sean has 12 months to live with his wife and kids. Yeah. How do you, how do you process that? How is he processing it? You, the children. If you met Sean, you'd understand he's just one of the most positive people you would ever come across. Um, you know, he makes a laugh and joke about everything. You know, as soon as we left the oncologist's office on Thursday, obviously I was devastated. I couldn't even string a sentence together. And Sean looked at me and he said, stop crying. You know, I'm not giving up that easy. I'll be here in 20 years. You know, I'll prove them all wrong. And that's his mindset. And you know, he's, he's been strong for me and the kids, so all I can do is try and be strong for him. Okay, okay, of course. What else can you do? Just talking about that original diagnosis, was it a tumour on the testicle? Was it originally that then spread? 
Yeah, so Sean's case is very complex. Um, so he's actually one in 100,000, uh, you know, in terms of his journey with cancer. So he started, um, or he was originally diagnosed in April 22 with testicular cancer. Um, so the whole time we were told, you know, this is curable, um, the survival rate for men is 95%. If, if, you know, when people said things like, if you're going to get cancer, this is the one that you want to get. Yeah, and at 32 years of age, of a healthy, healthy yeah. fit young man should be able to fight that. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, you know, for, for the first 12 months, that was, you know, our view on it. You know, this we're going to look back at this in a few years' time and think, Jesus, that was an awful couple of years we put down, but here we are, thankful for everything and, and everyone around us. And then April of this year, we were just gobsmacked with the news. Um, so what happened in Sean's case is, the cancer actually, it, it kind of progressed and I suppose kind of moved into something more serious called the sarcoma cancer. Um, so sarcoma is actually cancer of the muscle tissue, uh, the bones, the ligaments, very rare. So only about 220 people each year in Ireland are diagnosed with sarcoma. Um, and then within sarcoma, you've got different subcategories and um, it's a, it's, so it's very complex. Um, we were told back in April that it was stage four, it was terminal. Um, and, you know, his survival rate for five years went from 95% down to 10% in the blink of an eye. So that was really tough. You know, it was really we really struggled to come to terms with that back in April. But again, we three young kids, you know, we, we kept positive and just kind of thought, he's gone back into chemo, chemo will do something. Mm. You know, he's going to fight it. He's young, he's healthy. You know, we, we've got the strength to do it. Mm. And then obviously last week we found out, you know, his cancer has not responded to chemotherapy. Surgery was obviously never an option. Uh, it, it, no tumours in the stomach and tumours growing. Yeah. Things like, I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and genetic testing being done on his biopsies and that proves that there's no kind of immunotherapy or targeted therapy that's an option for him. So it is a case of... They're going to try another chemotherapy. So our oncologist at the moment is in um, conversations with the Royal Marsden Hospital in the UK about what protocol to kind of proceed with next. But it is like it's it's it might give us a bit more time, but we're looking at a year at best. Yeah. Do the kids know? Um, not to the extent of how long, but they know that the treatment's not going to plan. Um, you know, it's very hard to keep keep a brave face you know all weekend we've kind of been up and down um, and you know our our kids are very clever kids so that you know they know when things are not in routine I've gone back to work today just because I need to keep a routine going for them um, they know that obviously Sean is sick they know uh, chemo's not working he's had multiple surgeries but they don't know what what life or you know what what timeline is left and I don't think we're ready to tell them that until you know we're at a point where palliative care is involved or the next protocol of chemo hasn't worked and we're we're now looking at full-time care at home for him full-time care at home but but Seamus was telling me that that Mary Mount are are on standby it's very sad even saying that to support with palliative for him at some stage Oh, it's awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's the thing the oncologist is, you know, um, getting ready for us at the moment is that relationship with Mary Mount. I know, I know. You must feel yeah. awful cheated, though, as to why me, why us, why our little family? I do. You know, I feel, I feel awful for my kids. 
I look at my kids and I think, why them? You know, why do they have to go through this? You know, as I said, we're hardworking, we're average people. You know, we've, we've, I think we've, we've dealt with every battle so far really well. And it's just this last one now, which just really knocked us to six. Um, there's another aspect to all of this. Sorry, I know it's upsetting for you. Who wouldn't be upset? But um, his Ill, Sean's illness benefit was stopped and he was refused disability. Is is that right? Yeah, so um, back in April, only a few weeks after, um, we were told the terminal diagnosis. We had a letter um, from the illness benefit department just kind of saying, you know, he'd run out of PRSI contributions. So we lived in London for a long time. We only came back in 2019. Um, and when we came back, we started working straight away. But Sean's was scaffolded there by trade. So as you can imagine, throughout the whole pandemic, when construction was closed, he was in and out of work. Um, I was on maternity leave because our youngest is only three. Um, so obviously in that time, he's not built up another, he's not built up enough, a lot of contributions to be able to continue claiming illness benefits. So we spoke to the social worker um, and they said, you know, disability benefit is the next route to go down. So we've applied for that, waiting weeks, constantly ringing off, no decision, then rejected. We applied supplementary welfare, rejected for that. Um, it's devastating, to be honest, because, you know, we've, we've been trying to survive off my income since, you know, April, May, and time what, when his family uh, stopped. And what, on what basis would all of those cries for help be rejected? So the illness benefit because the PRSI, so we're we're trying to get his contributions from the UK transferred over, um, which is an awful ordeal to go through and it hasn't helped even though there's some sort of agreement signed with the UK that the stamps still cross over regardless of Brexit. But we cannot get through to the right people, the right departments to even help us. But why um, wouldn't you qualify for disability benefit? Because it's means tested and because I'm working. Now, I'm no means, you know, on minimum wage, but I'm not exactly a high flyer either, you know. So what they're saying, what I earn is enough to support the family. You know, uh, we still need full-time childcare for my youngest because Sean's too ill to look after him when he's in treatment. So they means test somebody with a terminal illness stage four with perhaps less than a year to live, do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very cruel, you know. It's awful, and I, you know I'm not on here to kind of slay the social welfare or government or anything because it's not in me to do that. But I just think there needs to be more support for people. You know, if 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 you're presenting with a terminal illness and you've got doctors' reports, oncology reports, all of which you gave, you gave support. all of the medical reports oh. from the various specialists, GPs. Uh, you had social workers supporting it as well. Absolutely everything. We submitted everything. And we're now 16, 17 weeks on and still no updates, still no payments, nothing. It's, you know, it's not. You know, we're lucky that we had a bit put away for a rainy day or, we, you know, we've got friends and family that support us like beyond, beyond the way they need to. But there's many people out there that go through this and, you know, don't have that support. Yeah, it seems you know? very, it seems very, very cruel and very selective as to who gets help and who doesn't get help. And you would think that somebody with a young family um, going through everything they're going through, that there would be piling help upon you, but yet nothing. Yeah, piling it upon. The, 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 I suppose the most help outside of friends and family we've had are the different charities that we've tapped into for, you know, different support. So 
you know, um, our accounts have been mm. absolutely fantastic in, you know, supporting us with some counselling sessions. Um, my daughter attends their climbing programme there, so, you know, she's getting to meet other kids that are in similar situations. The Coma Ireland charity, we, you know, we've been in contact with them and there's different bits and pieces that we can apply for with them, but, like, as in terms of the government, it's been really, really poor. Hasn't it been? I mean, and that's... Uh, that's that's putting it mildly, really, really poor. Yeah. You know, you would think and that there would be a, an automatic fund of some way, shape, or form to to help a struggling family with you know uh, with a diagnosis like yours, um, and 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 hence the GoFundMe. Of course, I know that. But I did hear that a lot of the GoFundMe, of course, and 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 let's see if we can help with that as best we can, is to make memories. Am I misreading that somewhere? Make memories. No, like the like when. Well, you know, my friend spoke to me about setting it up, my friend Janice, and I was kind of I was very apprehensive at the beginning because, you know, we've gotten a year and a half through with our heads above water, you know, it's just in me to keep going. Um, and she was just kind of like, Amy, like, there's people out there that I will support and want to support you, you know, she's like, you need to be able to step away from work when you need to, to be able to have these memories of Sean and the kids because, you know, we're, we're, I'm not going to get the next 12 months back once it's done. Well, you see, that's why it's so cruel. And um, what you're being told because of this very cruel means testing is you're working. Go on out to work now. Work away. Your your husband may be dying. You may be left with a, a widow with three children. But you're working. Work away and support your family. Going through everything you're going through, I can't believe how cold and cruel that is. Yeah, that's the way we feel. You know, it's just, it's been so tough. And I think we're so overwhelmed by the response to GoFundMe has made already. Um, and not, not even just the donations made, but the messages, the calls, the check-ins. You know, it just means that, you know, there there is support there. And I know when the inevitable happens and Sean's no longer here with me, that support's still going to be there for me and the kids, which is really important. Yes, but his mindset, Sean's mindset, is still to continue to fight, is it? Oh, yeah, he's not giving up with our fight. He keeps saying he doesn't want to leave the kids. He wants to see our youngest grow up. You know, he's, he's only three. You know, he's his only boy. And they're just, he's like his best friend. He's, you know, he wants to take him to football matches. You know, he, he just he wants more time. So he's not giving up with our fight. Neither, we're not, neither of us are. No, I'm sitting here like a blubbering mess right now. No, listen, you're grand, but I mean, miracles do happen. You've got to hold on to the thought that yes. that could be achieved. You just don't want to give up on it. Uh, is, he, is he still, like, is, he, is he mobile and is he still managing to, you know, get out and about with you and the kids? Oh, he is, yeah, he is. Um, the treatment now can knock him for six, so there'll be weeks where we know... If he's, he's, you know, if he's had chemo Monday to Friday, that the following week he will be very much um, bed bound or on the couch. You know, he'll be vomiting. He won't be able to kind of leave the house for very long. But then we have really good days as well. So we're just trying to jump on those days as much as possible. He sounds very brave, notwithstanding that you are as his partner. But he sounds very brave because you would think that he would. Some people might just get morbid or bitter or angry about this. No, not at all. You know, even last week, up until Thursday, Sean's kind of thinking, you know, if you know if things go our way, if we get good news, he's like, you know, he wants to get back to work. He's, you know, he's never been out of work since he was sixteen years old. He's always, you know, been the one that puts his hand up for overtime. He's always worked six days a week. Um, 
he that's his mindset is that he wants to to keep going. He, he's not he's not taking this on board. Like he's not taking that. He's got twelve months. The GoFundMe is called Making Precious Memories for the Fullers. What precious memories would you like to make for whatever time may be left? I think just, you know, we want to give the kids the best Christmas that they can have this year. You know, if it is our last, we want to make sure that it's one that we don't forget, just the five of us. Um, you know, Sean's originally from London, so I know we, we want to try and get him home. Um, see his nan, he, she's quite sick, she can't travel. Um, and then it's just, just lots of videos and photos and days out and trips and, you know, just good memories for the kids and years to come. They can think back to that time, you know, they were, you know, on that day trip with dad or they went to that football match with dad and, you know, had a great time. And rather than dad being sick in bed, I don't want that to be their memory. Oh, my God, Amy, you're trying to squeeze a lifetime into 12 months. Yeah, it's very difficult. It is very difficult. With a clock ticking that shouldn't be ticking. It's just all so sad. I mean, I know that every single person listening to this will hope that the chemo will work or that he will get longer or by some miracle, you know, will make a recovery. uh, And you have to grasp onto that. But at the same time, you need to prepare yourself in other ways. And that's why you talk about wanting to make memories with the time that's left. Um, I can't get over. I can't get out of my head the cruelty and the coldness of the state that would do this to a young family. Where where did yourself and Sean meet? Um, <laughs> so me and Sean met in GAY, so that's a gay club in London. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> my friends, my friends always laugh at me. They're like, trust Amy to go to a gay club and meet her husband. Um, <laughs> he was twenty one and I was twenty two. I've only moved to London a couple of months. I thought I'd go over for a year or so just see what it's like and then yeah I met Sean and that's it you know we um, we stayed there for the next kind of nine years we moved home in 2019 and he was happy to come back to Cork was he with you ah uh, no no I you know I gave him an man <laughs> <laughs> you know he's a typical London boy so he's used to tubes and the busy life and I yeah. just wanted to get back to peace and quiet I had enough yeah yeah um, yeah so I kind of said, look, you either come or, you know, this marriage will be long distance. <laughs> <laughs> he came, um, but he, he, you know, six months in, he said to me, you know, this is the best decision we made. He said, I'm so glad that you twisted my arm and made me come because, you know, the, the support network we have around us. Where are you? Are you, you're, are you in Holly Hill, is it? Did you did you buy a house up well, there? I'm, a, I'm originally from Holly Hill, but we um, we bought our house down in Lyre, so just outside Bantair. Um, so we're further out now at the moment. That's a big, big transition from London, isn't it? <laughs> it is. We rented in passage for the first year we came back. And even then it was quiet because it was in the middle of lockdown. Um, so he was just kind of like, what is this? <laughs> it's so quiet. And even the work, he was like, you know, he'd worked on huge projects in London, Tottenham Football Stadium, Battersea Power Station. So coming home and then being on, you know, your average Irish building site was a, a bit of a shock to him, but he just, it takes everything in a stride and he's made such good friends here in the short time that we have been back to. I know. And of course, he holds on to the hope or he's focused on getting well and getting on with his life and fingers crossed, fingers crossed yeah. by all of us that that will happen. Um, I'm already getting texts actually from people who are absolutely scandalised that the state would treat you like that. Again, it is, and, and you know, I'm saying this, not you, but it is an example of people who have to fundraise themselves for the things that they need 
and also because of the hand that they've been dealt, where the state should play a part in it. Um, I, I, I don't know whether whether you should maybe uh, accelerate this up through the chain of political um, intervention, whether it would be a TD or a minister or Michal Martin or Simon Coveney or a local TD. Would all that be pointless, do you think? You know, I think at the moment I need to focus on fighting Sean's battle with him. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just, I don't think I've got that in me at the moment. Yeah. And I think I need to keep my focus on him, his treatment, giving him, you know, quality of life for what's left and making sure that my kids have the best 12 months. I don't think bringing that stress on me is going to benefit know, me in any I way. Know, I know. Okay. Okay. That's, that's a closed chapter. I hope that there are many, many more chapters in spite of the very sad diagnosis and, and uh, you know, the talk of, of 12 months. Um, and listen, I, I know that people who will be listening here will want to also give a few bob or whatever they can afford towards the GoFundMe so you can make those memories for you and Sean and the children. And I would encourage people, if they wish to do so, to get on to GoFundMe. It's very easy to find the link. It's making precious memories for the Fullers. Um, and it's doing very nicely right now at the moment. So 12,500 raised of a target of 20. I would be very surprised if you didn't very much surpass that. Um, again, I can't get out of my head that it's sad that people have to go fund me like this when you think that there would be intervention on behalf of the state. But the generosity of people is always there. And can I post that link onto our Twitter as well to help and on Facebook and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just want to thank everybody so far. That's made it a very generous donation. Um, you know, I was, I was, you know, really apprehensive about setting the goal for me. Of, I can imagine. You know, getting Janice to set it off because, you know, I didn't want it to look like we had our hands out and saying, you know, support us. Um, but the love and support from people has just been ridiculous. But sure, Amy, you shouldn't have to work. You know, you should be with Sean and the, and the, and the children all of the time. You know, they, well, and, and a few people have said that to me, you know, why don't you go to the doctors and, you know, ask them to sign you off sick, etc. But um, to be honest, I enjoy my work and I've worked hard for where I am in my yeah, career. I, know. I feel like, why should, why should I have to do that? No. Well, um, well, Sean, as an individual himself, should be getting all of the help from the state. Exactly. That's, that's, exactly. that's available, sadly available to others. God knows we, we see off an awful lot of that these days, uh, bending over backwards, but um, not to uh, the father of a, of, a, of a young Cork family. But this is where we find ourselves. It would be nice to stay in touch with you, though, at the same time, Amy, you know. Um, and, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, absolutely. And, Thanks a million for having me on today. And, and if, and if things and hopefully things will improve, that we can let people know about that. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Thanks so much, Lee. Okay. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to give um, a, a good shout out to the GoFundMe for the coming days and share the links on our own uh, social media platforms as well. Somebody did suggest, though, um, that um, uh, you, let me let me just see what Bre- I'm just been told Brenda's on, on line three. Brenda, good morning. Hi. D- um, did you just want to give a little bit of advice there regarding the time spent in England, is it? Yeah, um, I know. I know for us. For a fact that she can go, she can go. She, she how long were they in England? Need to turn that radio down there in the background, Brenda. If you don't mind, Brenda. Brenda wants to say that. Um, would you think of going to England to see if you can get help there? She says I have a family member who couldn't get, say, even a fuel allowance here because they worked in England, but they qualified for everything because of the work in the UK. Um, if Sean worked in England. 
you might find that there's an awful lot of help available there. Okay, definitely, we can look into. Just seems crazy that we even have to go. Oh, sure, listen, I know, but it gives an example of how people yeah. are treated better there as opposed to here. But it's it's just a thought. Um, Amy, stay in touch. Um, it's 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 so sad the hand that you've been dealt. I hope to God that the treatment works for him. Uh, let's see what happens. All right. Thanks, million. Okay, take care of yourself. All the best. On GoFundMe, it's called Making Precious Memories for the Fullers. Um, it's very sad, isn't it? But you'd be very angry at the same time on their behalf. Wouldn't you really? You'd be just so angry that you'd be means tested for things like that. And over and over again, even with the diagnosis of a terminal illness with less than 12 months to live, that you would be stopped from the point of view of illness benefit or disability benefit refused and all of these things in spite of appeals, in spite of intervention from specialists and GPs and social workers. Uh, sometimes uh, this world can be, or indeed this country can be a very cruel cruel place. Our lines are open. You can text 0868 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Red FM. A lot of people are very angry and upset on behalf of the Fuller family. Text 0868104106. This is Ireland in 2023. That's how you treat a young family when they reach out to the state for help with a terminal cancer diagnosis. You're told no. Text 0868104106. Just looking at um, issues regarding those that need... OK, it could be a creche that we're talking about. It could be the children that go into creches. It could be elderly people. It could be young children looking for orthodontics help. I told you yesterday, a woman on the air telling us the story of her son who had um, teeth that were growing crookedly and was being bullied in school and what have you and was told that to get any orthodontic treatment paid for by the state, he would be at least 17 years old before they get to him with a waiting list of like eight years. And if that, it could be conservative. So the things that matter don't get dealt with here like they should do and really and truly it's like our politicians stand on their uh, sit in their hands in denial we had another example of that this morning with the MV Matthew and the fishing trawler off Wexford we, we know that the Irish Navy intercepted the MV Matthew we know that the Irish Navy fired shots across its bow we know then that the army rangers the elite squad of the army rangers boarded the MV Matthew took control of it um, but yet in those two cases, whether it's the Navy or indeed the Army, we pay them with pittance and we don't treat them with the respect that they deserve with regards to pay and conditions. Uh, another example for you, if an example was needed. Mark Keane is president of PD Fora, which is the Permanent Defence Forces Association, but also works in the Navy, joins me by phone. Mark, good morning. Good morning. I think you'd concur with that. Um, you know, we, we, we rely on them when we need them. We got super examples of their work yesterday, but yet we still have eight naval ships and at least six of them tied up at any one time. It's a mess. Yes, unfortunately, people often ask the question, you know, why do we need the Defence Forces? I think the events of the last number of days clearly demonstrate the service we provide and that we do. But most importantly, we need a well-resourced and funded Defence Forces because we play a pitiful role, not just in the aid to civil power, but security of the state as well, yeah. which was demonstrated over yeah. the last couple of days. Yeah. But yes, year in, year out, and we heard it again this morning, it's impossible to get and recruit people and it's even getting more and more difficult, nigh and impossible, to get people to stay in the job because they're being po- they're highly trained and being poached by private industry, right? Yes, unfortunately, it is an ongoing situation. We have a booming economy, but we also we can take measures to address that. We can take measures to make the defence forces and not alone just enable service, but a career choice again for young people. Like I myself have over thirty years service. I know many of my colleagues have. 
you know, and we stay because we believe in it, we want to serve, and we believe in what we do. But it's making that attractive to younger people again, showing them what we have to offer, and most importantly, remunerating them for the job they do. But it's the same with our guards, and it's the same with a lot of our medical professionals, whether they're nurses or doctors. They're legging it. In different countries, I know. In the Army and the Navy, it's different professions. What would make it right? I mean, is it, is it just money? No, it's, it's a number of things. It's, it's the Commission on the Future Defence Force has laid the foundation and laid the building blocks for the changes we need to see implemented. We need to work in train directive. We need work in work-life balance. We need family-friendly policies. And naturally enough, we do need to see our members being remunerated for the job. To do. Okay, so it is money, but it's quality of life. How and ever you join the Navy to go to sea, family life suffers, doesn't it? That's inevitable. It does, but what you can do, you you can you can you can implement small tweaks and changes that a lot of our clients actually you know, spent over the horizon. People don't see what we do and don't know what we do. But when we come home, that time should be sacrificed. The time you're home, there should be less frequency of duties. You should have an opportunity to get off the ship. You shouldn't live on the ship. You should get an opportunity to spend as much time as home as you can. The, the Navy's unique. We need the families to buy into this. You know, you need your wife or your partner, your husband, your girlfriend, wife, but you need them and your kids to buy into this as well because you're asking them to stay at home, to carry on whilst you go off and serve in the state. Is it a case then that those that do have children are hearing from their kids, daddy or or mammy for that matter, uh, you're never home? Yes, unfortunately so. And it is it is hardship on families. So that's why you need to, as I said, to get the families involved. They need to buy into this as well. You know, the Navy, by virtue, you know, of like, is a very family-oriented unit because we spend long periods of time at sea together, so that, that becomes our family. And then we have our family at home. What are rates of pay like? The, the starting pay is good, and the Minister has come out and said that, and we acknowledge that. But where we fall along with the other public services and private industry is we have unlimited hours. So what we mean by that is we do not attract overtime payments, bonus payments, we do not attract premium rates or pay for hours worked. So... We could, you're on 36 and a half starting, which is very good. But 36 and a half hours. grand qualified to start, is it? Qu- qualified to start, yes. As a rec- is, that, is that called a recruit, is it? Yes, a recruit. And then naturally enough, there's increments spills on over the over five-year period. But that's it then. There is no comparison with any other public body organisation or on Gardaí O'Connor, the prison service or the fire brigade. You, d- you do don't not- have set shifts like they would? No, no. Like, we've unlimited liability to work for hours. So if we take the lads who sailed a number of weeks ago on board the, 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 the ship that the, it's into, you know, intervened in the drug ops yesterday, you know, they're out there for a number of weeks. There is unlimited liability on them for the hours they'll work. Same with the RW, the Army Ranger Wing, who took part in the operation. Same with the Air Corps. So we have no set working week. I could come to work on a Monday and I might get home for a week or two. Or three okay, or I gotcha, yeah, yeah. So I've just looked, because I was looking at it this morning, it would take seven years for somebody to rise up to 41 and a half grand. Now, um, in the world that we live in now and the cost of everything, uh, to, 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 to keep a home and raise a family, um, that's not good money. No, unfortunately not. And Taking said, seven years to get to it is even worse. It is, yes. And also, you have to understand, we live in rent pressure zones. So we attract people from 32 counties. So they come to us in Hobble Lane. So they'll rent in Rings, Giddy, Hobble, Carrigline, Passage West, Monkstone, Douglas. All those outlying areas of rent pressure zones. They cannot afford to rent. Then we're caught with accommodation on the island. We've had investment in it, but we need much, much, much more investment on the island. 
Yeah, and it, that that also leads me back to the point I made earlier on that with the high level of training, they become very poachable to private industry where they would have set times of work and they'd have weekends free and they'd have nights at home and things like that and they're indoors. They, but however, I suppose, you lose on you lose out on the excitement that attracted you to the army or the navy by leaving, don't you? I mean, it, it probably is to some extent, um, you know, like a calling, is it? Very much so. It's it's not something that I think people enter into lightly. You know, people want to do it. It's an old-fashioned principle. People want to serve. They have bright new uniform. They want to serve, and they believe in public service. Unfortunately, there is a lot of financial pressures on younger members and the people who we represent across the Defence Forces who just no longer can afford to put on the uniform and say, I'll do it because I believe in it. They, they actually have to live. They have to pay their bills. None of us joined the Defence Forces to get rich far from it. But we just like to be able to afford to buy houses where our children like everyone else. I know it. So yeah, they, yeah. And, and, and in days gone by, it was a kind of almost like a, a profession and a calling and a career that fell from you know one generation to the next dad was in the army or the navy granddad was those days are probably gone as well now are they unfortunately so I, I, I've known people who've given 100 years service to the state you know since the foundation of the state in 22 when the defence forces was founded right up to the present day and they are now saying and it's disheartening to hear and it's sad to see that they're now saying you know that their children won't follow in their footsteps or their grandchildren won't follow in their footsteps Sad, isn't it, as well, when you hear of eight naval ships and at least six of them tied up and only one available for the entire coastline of Ireland? That's bizarre, isn't it? See, again, we've always said that investing in what the equipment, all of this equipment, and, you know, it's laid bare to see, is made redundant unless you invest in the people who operate it, who keep those ships at sea, who maintain those ships, or who get the helicopters in the air or the planes in the sky, or get the ARW to where they are. You need the joined up thinking. You need to invest both in the asset, which is the person, but also the equipment that you need to do these operations. Okay. Can you guys ever take industrial action, no? No, we're disbarred from anything like that. Uh, Peter Four is, is a representative association very, association, very much like the GRA and RACO. Uh, we're not allowed to undertake industrial action with our labour or strike or anything like that. And I don't think there was ever an appetite amongst our members either. For, you know, we believe in what we do. We serve the state and we want to serve. But we just like to be remunerated for the job we do. I know. I'd love to hear from other personnel like a good self. But thanks for taking the call, Mark Keane. Much obliged to uh, actively working in the Navy. We were referencing there the Rangers earlier on and somebody was talking about Cottle Berry, the independent TD for Kildare South. Actually, I saw him on the uh, Tonight Show on uh, Virgin Media last night. He was, you know, he made some very impressive points. He joins me by phone. I don't know how much time I get with him. Cahill, good morning. Good morning, listeners. Clear the schedule so you can have as much time as you want. All right, well, let's start anyway and see if I need to continue a little after 11. But you were you said um, that this was well within the comfort zone of the Army Ranger Wing, what they did yesterday. However, for those of us watching, it was damn impressive stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like the Air Corps and the Ranger Wing would be working almost seamlessly together for, for decades, really. And that really came to fruition yesterday. You, you saw the quality of, of the airmanship uh, of the pilots that, that put the ranger team right precisely where they're supposed to be on that deck uh, of the ship. And it's very hard to fail when you have top cover and you have support like that. I mean, the, the GAA have this wonderful phrase, uh, GA All-Stars. It says that games are won when, when no one's watching. And uh, what happened yesterday was a culmination of what has occurred from training and from practicing and rehearsing for the last... Yeah, but there's nothing so, like the real event and it did it did work out 
perfectly yesterday. I don't know, are you old enough to remember television ads from years and years and years ago? Uh, it was along the lines of, we are Rangers, mighty, mighty Rangers. Do you remember those TV ads? Yeah, I do. I do indeed. Yeah, for sure. And uh, look, it's great to see um, the guys doing such a wonderful job on the, in the international stage. And I think it's very important that we recognise that this is an internationally significant event as we picked up all over Europe and it will certainly be picked up uh, by the cartels in South America and, and Central America. And they're likely to tweak their modus operandi now in relation to how they interact uh, with in Irish territory. Yeah, wise. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking from experience. You were second in command of the Army Ranger Wing for quite some time. Is that right? Yeah, a great privilege and a great honour to be to be working at that level of, of the state apparatus for sure. And um, when it comes to the the, the cartels, though, however, that they, they will tweak their modus operandi for sure, but they'll still keep coming. I mean, uh, we we've heard Michael O'Sullivan last night saying, and quite rightly, that drug shipments really they they move towards the path of least resistance, just like water. And it's internationally well known now at this stage that that Ireland is ground zero when it comes to to weakness. That's so very yeah. poorly yeah. Somebody said last night, it may have been you, it's like Ireland having a neon sign saying, come on in, nobody to stop you. Was that you or worse to that effect? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's, it's a playground for, for drug shipments. If you want to get into the European Union, uh, Ireland is a very, very, uh, I suppose, easy, soft underbelly, and it's at the back door uh, into Europe. And the reason being is, I mean, well, we're not looking for anything unusual here. And I very, oh, very much welcome Mark Keane's points there. He made them so eloquently just before I came on. I mean, 15 years ago, uh, Ireland could put eight naval ships uh, to sea and now three quarters of them are tied up. So we're not asking for anything new. We're just looking to get back to where we were 15 years ago, which is an incredible request, yeah, really. Yeah. It shouldn't be coming from the bottom up. This should be top down from the cabinet table in government buildings. Okay. We need to get these uh, ships back to sea and get them out to the job. Okay, there's one, there's one other aspect, and that is with regards to the battle against drugs that I'd love to chat with you. I wonder, are you free for just after 11 o'clock just to pick up on one other aspect that I know the Citizens' Assembly are talking, and that is about the possible decriminalisation of, of drug use. Are you free for that? Um, I, I'll try and you uh, just get one of your team to give me a shout. Okay, thanks for that. Advice. Much obliged. Hopefully it'll work out. Thanks, Cahill. Back after 11. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Talking a lot of uh, trees and branches being down. Cahill, good morning. This quite sounds quite serious. Cahill, good morning. Uh, right, uh, not there, but I think he was going to tell me that there's a tree down on the Cork to Mallow Road by Morn Abbey on the turnoff. Is that you, Carly? Are you there? Hello. Oh, you are there. Just what did you see? Because that's on a main road, is it? Yeah, the, um, it's, uh, there's a tree on the first turnoff from Cork to, Cork to Mallow. There's a tree down on the first turnoff to Morn Abbey. Okay, and what's it blocking? Thing. Is it blocking the main road or blocking a slip it's road? It's blocking the main road, yeah. You, you just have to go into the white lines on the right. So slow down then. Are people creeping yeah, around down. it, yeah? Yeah, people are just about getting around it, yeah. That sounds very dangerous to me if people have to break suddenly and they spot that tree. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah. Okay, proceed with caution in that regard. Thank you for that. That's a motorist call calling that one in on the Mallow Road area. It's also a tree down in the inside lane of the South Link, inbound by the Elysian. It's not a huge tree by any stretch of the imagination. 
but it doesn't need to be big to be dangerous. Anyway, text 0868104106. A lot of texts on topics from this morning. Can I just say, stay with the drug seizure and indeed the army and the navy? It's Michal Martin should be dragged over the coals about pay for the navy and the army. Full stop. The government is driving a low-wage economy and it's detrimental to society, says Mike. Uh, Neil, next week our esteemed politicians are giving themselves pay rises while our naval people and army are on the breadline. It's mind-boggling. Then you have Michal Martin claiming credit for the drug haul. I'm not quite sure. I certainly haven't heard him claim any credit for it. Um, says, uh, anyway, it's a text from Kira. Neil, we don't have a drug problem in Irish society. What we have is a low mood problem. Mental health problems are what's driving the drug scourge. As long as people aren't content with the mood they're in, they'll want to crank it up to make themselves feel good. Unfortunately, the drugs alter mood temporarily, so the never-ending chase of being in a good mood begins. Exercise, good lifestyle can get people in good moods like they had when running around the playground as a kid. Kids running around playgrounds are really, really happy. They're full of energy. This is the way the vast majority of us were before we became adults. We're the same people when, than when we were kids. We're just not happy and um, without alcohol and drugs, says Noel. It's a very interesting text. With regards to decriminalising drugs, murder rates have risen by almost 100%. Should we decriminalise murder? On paper, doing so would see our government statistically eradicate the scourge of murder in Ireland. But in truth, the people in Ireland would still be left uh, to live with the reality of murder. It would be the same, decriminalising drugs. While the government of Ireland could statistically claim victory, drugs themselves would become less addictive or harmful um, or would they? And the people of Ireland would still have to deal with the consequences. I know what you're saying in that regard. All we'd make is a paper change. I'd rather have more naval personnel keeping this muck off our streets than paying 14 extra TDs. And I'd say I'm not alone in this, says Bobby. And one final one. I paid 10 grand to leave the Navy after 10 years service. Several of my colleagues paid much more to get out to escape the soul-destroying environment there. Yes, the paying condition issues are prevalent, but the Navy hierarchy have been the masters of their own destruction. Bullying is rife and many in authority are so institutionalised that they're unable to treat subordinates as actual people as opposed to just service numbers. Can't come on air as I'd be easily recognised. Oh, it's very interesting. Not for the first time have we heard that it's a lot more than just pay and conditions. It's actual treatment right down to, and unfortunately we heard many of those stories of sexual harassment, rape and bullying within the Defence Forces. Uh, I won't keep it much longer, but Carl Berry, uh, the independent TD for uh, Kildare South and a former Army Ranger was on with me just before 11. I don't know if you wanted to pick up on that, that uh, Carl, the, the text of there are more reasons why people leave the Defence Forces. Oh, absolutely, Neil, and it's, it's good to be back on. So, so pay and conditions of service are, is a dominant factor for sure. But like everything, it's it's multifactorial. There's a lot of uh, factors at play, uh, primarily uh, family pressures at home. That's if you can't feed your family, obviously there's a, a pressure to actually leave and, and get a, a better paid job. But look, I've worked in, in so many different areas of, of, of the economy. I've been a farmer at the start, worked in retail, uh, been a student, uh, worked in defence forces, worked in the medical field, worked in 
HSC hospitals and I'm working in politics now and I can say just from my own uh, experience um, the place where I was treated the best and the place where I saw people being treated the best was unquestionably the Defence Forces. Yes, there is a societal issue in terms of bullying, harassment for sure and the Defence Forces is only a, a representative of society. It's completely unacceptable. It needs to be stamped out. Well, it wouldn't be tolerated in any other um, place of work or employment, that's for sure. Well, uh, I was just say, saying that uh, if you want to do a surgical scheme um, in Ireland, um, you, you'll see infinitely worse treatment, basically. And uh, it's not unique to the Defence Forces. Unfortunately, uh, it's in other walks of life as well. But just from my own personal expertise, and I did spend 23 years in the Defence Forces, the place where I was treated the best and the place where I saw people being treated the best was unquestionably Defence Forces by mm. a country mile. Mm. OK, you know, it's just that text that says bullying is rife those in authority, it's institutionalised and they fail to treat um, service personnel as actual individuals. Uh, hence, more people are leaving than perhaps just paying conditions. But, you know, fair enough, I'll I move on from that point. Um, I'm just coming back to the whole issue of, you know, fighting this war against drugs, particularly cocaine, and they're talking about a fentanyl now being the next big thing that's going to hit our shores which would be like a hundred times more powerful than heroin uh, and God knows much more powerful than the likes of um, morphine or what have you. Is this a battle that we're losing because we ourselves even have a thriving cocaine market? Should we be talking about decriminalising? First of all, it is a battle that we're losing and we need to tackle it from two directions, uh, from the supply side for sure, but most certainly from the demand side. Supply is only providing uh, for the demand that's actually there. And now the, the Drugs uh, Citizens Assembly is meeting at the moment, they're reporting by the end of the year um, and they're looking at a range of options based on international best practice. And uh, I know you talked about decriminalising and, and there is talk of at least looking at the option of decriminalising the user and, and treating it more as a, a medical issue rather than a criminal justice issue but there's just one thing that should never be decriminalised and that is that large shipments and the drug cartels and the organised crime and, and the gangland activity any type of supply should never be uh, uh, decriminalised in any shape or form and that's where the target has to be Yeah but um, that, 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 that there'll always be a supply if it was decriminalised somebody would still have to grow it and distribute it and the state would buy it and, and uh and perhaps then control the distribution and the sale price and the weight and everything. Uh, is that the Portuguese model? Yeah, Portuguese model, but I mean, that's imperfect as well. They're also looking at the the Amsterdam model as well. There's, there's other options internationally in relation to international best practice. So uh, I don't really want to prejudge what the Citizens' Assembly will uh, find and recommend because that's the reason why we established it in the first place, that they look at it in, in forensic detail, that they get international experts to come in and give them their views and that they form uh, considered opinions then and recommendations and that, that will go back to the, to the Dáil Chamber for further discussion and debate. Yeah, so we will wait to see See what the citizens' assembly. These would be a hundred members of the Irish population to recommend and advise the government. Is it? Um, recommend and advise the government, but also Parliament. Um, so look, that's the sequence. Um, so the citizens' assembly will uh, issue findings. And they'll go back to the cabinet. The cabinet will probably table a debate then in the Dáil Chamber, which will be discussed uh, in great detail. Um, and then we take from there. So that's the, that's the plan at the moment. Yeah, although I was giving some stats this morning uh, from the HSC Drugs and Alcohol Helpline, which is saying that cocaine use and calls relating to cocaine use um, increase every year. The last statistical year, it's up another 17%. So it does cause problems and it does cause addiction, no matter what way you look at this. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, the, we, what we have to do is reduce the amount of consumption and we need to reduce the amount of supply inside in the country. It's a, it's a global problem, unfortunately. It's a, it's a rising problem and we have to bring all the resources of the state to, to bear on this particular problem. Okay, okay. It'd be a good idea then to have eight naval ships fully crewed up doing the Irish coastline constantly, wouldn't it? Absolutely. You're, you're talking my language there, Neil, for sure. Okay. Mind yourself. Thanks for taking the call. Appreciate it. That's Cottle Berry, himself a former Army Ranger. Text 0868 We've got calls on the way. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 Red FM. Yeah, there was um, a fishing trawler bought in Casadon Bear that ultimately was supposed to rendezvous with um, the MV Matthew to take their share of the cocaine off the MV Matthew and then head off to Devon with it for the British market but they didn't know their left hand from their right hand so they ended up going the wrong way and all sorts of confusion ended up on a sandbank then in um, in uh, in Wexford it reminds you of sometimes you wonder who's actually trying to bring con- uh, you know drugs into countries uh, you back along when the story in Dunlock Bay that a big massive rib at a two 250 horsepower outboards on it uh, but they were petrol outboards and they put diesel into them instead and the wheels came off the cart in that one. Interesting text, though, says, just on a lighthearted note, the lads are setting out the wrong way to Devon with the trawler from Castledown Bear. It's almost as funny as when, on Only Fools and Horses, the trotters set off for Holland on a trawler to bring back home cheap booze without a, wit- without a clue which way to go. You might remember the clip, Neil, where they were calling out to passing ships, which way is Holland? Oi! Only fools and horses. Oh, the best television ever made. Anyway, that's just a light-hearted note because you've got to have a bit of a laugh, don't you, in the world we live in now. Back to the phone lines we go. Text 0868104106. Liam Bonner joins me by phone. You were reminiscing about a call we had on air some years back, is it, where we disagreed, I believe, on one particular topic or other, Bonner? Was that the case? Neil, how are you doing? You well? Good. Good, good, good. Yes, just uh, just quick one there. You're talking there about the um, about all this, uh, the, the drugs and everything else. And I remember we were we, a conversation we had going back some of the region of seven, eight years ago. Um, and I was talking about you know the, the the all the time spent first off and all the time spent and wasted on on on, on marijuana and all and everything associated with that. Would they just legalize it, do all the do all the right things and follow the path of countries and states in America like 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 California? Certain states of Canada, and, and and check the positivity. The positivity is outweighs the the bad ten, ten to one on it, you know. And with tax revenues and everything else. Yeah. Um, but the one I wanted to mention there is before. And do we is, disagree on that at the time with regards to Canada? No, 
No. Right. They, 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 it was me talking then of the next stage, and it, it's it's got ten times worse since, as we were talking about, the, the whole heroin um, pandemic or yeah. epidemic. Yeah. Is, uh, and, and the reality there, and what I suggested then, and I still suggested, they got to they change the law and the whole thing. They, you know, they put they bug, they bug everything in as a, a class A. You're talking about heroin, cocaine, ecstasy, and so on, and speed, and things like that. And they're not. It's too No, but, but I, could give you, you, I could give you chapter and verse on people, including some very young students who died because of ecstasy or speed overdoses. Oh, they did, and I can give you even ten times more who died of alcohol and other things. I mean, you know, the, the, all, all these things will happen, unfortunately. Well, one but point won't kill you, but one tab will. It, it, well, it's very, very rare in comparison. Like the whole thing with heroin, you're down the road, of, uh, you're down the path of that, and and, and, and most times out of ten, death is inevitable. Um, and, and we and we do know that and the people like don't get off it. That's that's where they're going. Ecstasy, ecstasy, cocaine, and stuff like that. It's not. It doesn't have the addiction. It doesn't have that addiction that they have to have it. A guy on heroin has to get up every morning. It's a it's a pain. It's an internal pain. They have to physically feed that pain. And when that comes to that, it comes to breaking in. It comes to theft. It comes of all the criminality and crime that goes with it. Yeah, but you don't, you have, don't to, have to. It, like, you don't have to die from it to be bad, or her- you don't have to be addicted to it for it to be bad for you. Like, the, the, mood, ch- no, the mood changes yeah, with regards to people with cannabis. Sorry, the mood changes with regards to people who take cocaine, ecstasy, amphetamine, speed. They're off their head. They could kill themselves or others. They could. They could do anything on some of this stuff. When, again, you see, that's that's again, that's broad sweeping the whole thing. It isn't. It, it isn't the case. I mean, there's plenty of people we we, we all know that doing ecstasy, cocaine, and stuff like that week in week out, and no drama with it, and they they live a normal working life. You don't have no. You cannot live a normal working life on heroin, or they go to the crack cocaine and that sort of a real hardcore stuff. It's a whole different ball game, and, the, and the, nothing will change until they change the law. It should be something like these drugs are classes heroin, ecstasy, and the like, speed and the likes. Of call that even. A as they stand, and then you're going into the crack cocaine and heroin and the like. That should be classed as an A, an A plus, an A plus. Whichever and what should be legalised? I mean, you're you're and around then, long enough to see it. I mean, you worked in the in various industries where people would be socialising and using cocaine. I mean, it absolutely. is just so it is so common now. As referencing people who you know go about their lives and they hold down jobs and they do coke at the weekend and they enjoy absolutely. it. They do. And, and and it's it's see the whole thing is it's very hard to turn around and say how do you legalize something like that you know and then you see you know this massive shipments and stuff coming in and the billions and billions made worldwide on on the sale of cocaine and the likes you know it's very hard to how you legalize but it's it, it's certainly for for personal use. To, uh, I would certainly decriminalise that because I mean, there's people there getting hauled up to the courts for you know their own use of, of ecstasy or cocaine or whatever something they do on the weekend. Life goes back to normal on the, on, on their Monday morning and they're back to work. It is it's no 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 big no big deal and no and, and no big gratifications. Where the whole different animal meal is the likes of there's a lot a lot of other stronger. We just call it heroin for now that we have on the streets of Cork. That's a different animal. That's people that cannot live a normal life. They're down a serious they're kicked out of home. They're on the final straw with the family. They've, they're, they're on the streets because because of a reason. They're selfish. They've gone out in their own. They've gone out in their own steam, and they've done this. They all know that. How did they get to, to? How did they get to, to heroin? Were there not stepping stones along the way that led? To there them? was a course, but you see, everybody's like so many people. You're only talking a very small percentage of people that have done drugs would go to that extreme. And then when you're talking going to heroin, everybody does not does not a child on the streets knows the extent and, and the, the 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 dangers of it. 
And it's a case of when they do it, they know it's not a case of, oh, let me try this, what kind of fun can this be? It's deadly. It's lethal. And, and, they've, and, and until you change the law, we're going to have, we had this conversation 10 years ago, and my, my answer to it was, change it, the law, and even somebody caught in the smallest of possession is looking at criminal, is criminality and looking at time. They either get forced into rehab, or they go, they do six months of jail and six months of rehab. Right. And remember, this is the point you argue me, you can't force rehab. In this scenario, you have to, because it's gone beyond the joke. People there, they can't even walk into Cork City these days with, with, with um, I hate to use the word junkies, but it's getting to that extreme. Okay, so you whatever know, way it, it was it, 10 years ago, it's considerably worse now. So continuing <laughs> with the status quo has not worked. Not at all. The way, and you know the way they were talking about opening up little, you know, clean needle shops and all that. That's all rubbish. You've got to attack the thing head on. And the only way to do it is to attack it and change the law. Take ecstasy and all them and, and, and decriminalise, not, not decriminalise, but decriminalise personal use. And then heroin, okay. you go, you go for the juggler. Okay. People caught in the streets. I mean, you can set up a whole, a whole, a whole special task force to deal with that and that only. And you can walk the streets there and say the likes of that. They go in and find them, pick them up off the street. Now they personally loose on them. Right, here's the deal. You're going to jail for six months. You're going to rehab. Where do you want to go? And that's how you deal with it. And you'll see the results of that very quickly in years to come. Okay. Until okay. that time, we're going to be here another ten years. And half the city, it's when people won't be going into town tonight. They're half afraid to go into town tonight. But you're saying you at know? this point that certain. <clears throat> cannabis, cocaine and ecstasy should be legalised for personal use. Cannabis should be legalised across the board. They should be able to buy it in shops. That's it. it okay. And, and, we and the others? The results of that the world over. And the others, decriminalised for personal use. How, uh, how they work around that is, is another, is, 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 I don't know the laws and, and the machinations of that. But certainly when it comes to heroin, treat it completely different, change the law. Until you do that, you know, we have these great conversations. There's great people come on the phone to you. People have great ideas. But, I love, you know, half the time when we follow their fears, you'd love to, I'd love to sit down with a politician and say, Ray, what's your solution to this? Where do you go to come up with the answers to it? Because none of them have done a thing. And the only thing that I've heard that they might call positive or we're, 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 we'll, get, we'll get treatment centres and they can get and treatment that hasn't, and all that. That just, that just hasn't happened. It hasn't that's happened. just rubbish. And okay. that's not even that happening. So that's where it's at. It's getting this, this message. And I'd love any one of them at the top, any one of them, both as far as the toilet chair or the T-shirt, to try and debate this one with me. Okay. Because they'd be wrong. And we're getting worse and worse and worse. And my God, Cork is only small. You go to Dublin, it's a completely different level oh again. Oh, my God, and it's it, feeding, is, yeah, it's, it is. It is, and it's yeah. feeding its way into, into, into every town in Ireland. Yeah, you know? and they seem to be in denial about that. Thanks, Bonner. Appreciate the call. So we, obviously, the biggest issue that we have in this country has always been alcohol, but uh, heroin is up there. Certainly it is. Uh, cocaine, big problem. Benzodiazepines. Methadone, actually, is another issue. Codeine abuse. Crack cocaine. Um, and all of these are presenting to the health service with people with problems and addictions and issues with them. Um, in t- on top of all of that, there are others, including the next wave, which will be fentanyl. Um, I did hear recently, I think we, we do talk about safe injection centres and they are proposed for Dublin and indeed for Cork. They already, I believe, and I'm open to correction on this now, I just overheard it. It was, uh, I think it was on the BBC, I heard it recently, where they either do or they will have safe injection units available in Scotland where people can go in and safely shoot up and get clean needles and stuff like that. So they're talking about that here in Cork. But in England, they're against it and they say they don't support the Scottish model and it won't be happening in England. 
uh, with regards to safe injection centres. Text 0868104106 back after the break. Somebody else is in touch to say that a, pig, a tree is down at the top of Church Road at the junction of Scahard Road and Scallies by Super Value and that is completely uh, blocking a road there. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday 0818 104-106. Texting coming in with regards to Storm Agnes. People saying that it's not necessarily over the worst of it yet. Text in from Whitechurch, bucketing down still and the winds are unreal. The winds will continue, but believe me, as we head across the afternoon, the rain will back off, but the wind will still remain a big issue. So again, normal precautions should be taken. Tree down on the old Mallow Road by Planet Gym. Not a huge tree, but it would cause an accident all the same, says Jody. A lot of people have power outages, many trees down. Uh, tree down on the left-hand lane on Cars Hill coming into Douglas, says Dennis. Says Dennis. Uh, it's rain now, heavy now. It's sideways rain in Ring of Skiddy. Uh, texter giving out about storm warnings. Ask people in Libya what they'd prefer. Text warnings or an Armageddon. Uh, imagine texting the radio to give out about people trying to keep other people safe. Would you be happy if a flying roof slate hit her in the face, for God's sake? Well, you know, I mean, you know, we need to be erring on the side of caution and because otherwise people wouldn't have an idea what's going on with the weather and they go about their business unprepared. Uh, but as I say, all these things will pass in the afternoon. No, the wind won't back off and I never once said that it would back off. Uh, not this afternoon or indeed even into this evening, but the rain will somewhat. Uh, keep texting 086-8104-106. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. I want to make a call now and hopefully this will work out because um, the latest uh, edition of um, Hell's Kitchen uh, starts tomorrow. I think it's like number one, number 21 or number 22 with Gordon Ramsay. I don't know whether you know this, but the, the upcoming edition or series of Hell's Kitchen has a Cork chef in it. Chef by the name of Ryan Sullivan, born and raised in Cork City and chefing out in America. And he will be appearing in the latest edition of Hell's Kitchen that starts tomorrow night. So I have his number here now. Let's see if I make this... Make this call, get it sorted, see if we can get him on the phone. Hang on, hang on. Hello. Hello, Chef Ryan. Neil, how's it going, bud? How are you? Good, my man. Good to talk to you. I was looking forward to this all day. Is this a good time? It is. Give me one second. Let me just get out of the kitchen there real quick. <laughs> get out of the kitchen. Yeah, enjoy. Yeah, get out of the kitchen. You know what I mean? Like, a chef's job is never done. It's never, ever kitchen. done. You were chained to Gordon Ramsay's Hell Kitchen for a while there, I'm told. <laughs> I was, absolutely. Um, we had a great time out there. It's almost two years ago now that was. Um, and, you know, what, what what a crack it was. It's finally coming to fruition, you know. It's out this Thursday and uh, we're all excited to see it. Isn't that insane that it would take two years before it would get to air? God almighty. I mean, how like how did it come I about? Um, so, it actually, funny story, uh, some, some lad randomly added me on Instagram. Actually, it's tomorrow, two years to the day tomorrow, uh, believe it or not, because uh, there's a Jewish holiday called Yom Kippur. It's not tomorrow and. Uh, uh, he texted me that day two years ago uh, and he just said he found me through my hashtags on Instagram because these days people's Instagrams are their CVs and resumes you know what I mean when people see your social media yeah. you know they kind of tell the story about who you were oh, were you posting and, what uh, you were cooking said, as well were you putting stuff up from the plates absolutely and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. constantly yeah. constantly constantly putting food up you know um, try, again trying to get noticed and you know finally it happened and uh, he sent me a message and I thought it was a, a bit of a joke about the beginning did an interview the next day with him and I did four or five more interviews a couple of tests 
tests and a few medicals and you know lo and behold we made it all the way <laughs> I was interested in the medicals actually so that you could maybe cope with the anger and the fury of Ramsey without having a heart yeah, attack it, w- it wasn't to make sure I was healthy yeah it definitely wasn't to make sure I was healthy it was to make sure I wasn't a lunatic already because <laughs> yeah, there was a year one of those years of the old hell's kitchen some guy <laughs> some guy in the kitchen some chef wanted to beat him up do you remember that <laughs> I do, I remember watching that, you know, funny story, I've been watching him since I've been, you know, the tender age of about four or five, I'd say, people, kids were watching, you know, Cartoon Network, I was watching Gordon Ramsay, I think, so I've been seeing him now uh, from a kid from a very, very young age, you know. Oh, come here, is he, is he as scary and as explosive off camera, or is a lot of that put on for, say for instance, the TV show? I wouldn't say it's put on, he's a very passionate man, uh, he's very passionate about what he does, um, but... Obviously, in high-pressure situations, you know, everybody's temper seems to be a little bit volatile uh, in, in every kitchen. Um, <laughs> but he is a little bit more tame off-camera, I will say that, for one. for, for one. But he does uh, have a, a massive, massive passion for what he does. And yeah, you can really yeah, see it when you're standing yeah. next to him and you're talking to him, you know? Yeah, he expects what, 100%. And if it's not 100%, he just goes crazy. You, you, you go into a warehouse, don't you? It's a warehouse setting somewhere, isn't that right? And I think you, you live there, you sleep there, you cook there, you record there. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. You, you live above the kitchen. It's in. Uh, we filmed in Hollywood two years ago, and it was fantastic because all it was was just an old IKEA they turned into a kitchen. You know, it's called Hell's Kitchen for a reason because it is hot, as you know, as hot as the sun as it is in there, and it's um, it's crazy because they turned the whole dining room or the whole IKEA into a dining room and the kitchen, and you know, it's it's absolutely mental. You know. Yeah, I mean, how many of this is there? Like fifteen or twenty start out in in each show. So there's 18 contestants, boys versus girls, uh, men versus women, whatever it is. There's lots of kids on, on shows these days, you know, lots of teens. Um, so they, they kind of stuck with the old um, format the, for the last couple of seasons because they kind of changed it up. But they started adding teams the last couple of years, which was good. And obviously this one was the American dream, you know. Yeah, but you have to have these days on the show like that, you have to have some kind of cooking experience, don't you? You have to be chefing for a living, I suppose. You, you do, you do, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't say for a living because these days, you know, people like to think they can put on a chef jacket and call themselves a chef when that's not the case, you know? I know. And I, I say that, you know, for all chefs across the world. Yeah. But I mean, anybody really that has a bit of a presence or a bit of character and, and can cook, you know, because I mean, there, there needs to be a bit of drama as well. You, know, you can't have a room full of superstars, you know, that'd be no fun. Yeah, but it's part of the show as well, isn't it? That people have their own personalities and when you're watching it then you like some and you kind of don't like others and you develop a kind of a relationship with them um, that would have been the case you with do, you absolutely. as well he would be as interested in your absolutely. I mean being Irish and being from Cork did that help you on the show? I'd like to think it did you know what I mean like not to say that there was any favouritism or anything but you know like again I just wanted to exude you know being Irish and being from Cork and you know telling everybody how great Cork is and how great Ireland is but I, I don't think it, 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 it you know, made me a favourite by any means. You know, I, I'm just a grafter, yeah, you know, no, I just, as I am. I would have just thought that, you know, you came from humble beginnings and so did Ramsey. He's a Scottish man. You're an Irish man. Better again, you're from Cork. Were you not a favourite? No? A hundred percent. I wouldn't like to think I was, but, you know, we, we, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. You know, I just kept my head down and, uh, you know, my mouth shut, my ears open. Because <laughs> you can't tell us how it worked out. Did you have to sign a disclaimer, like, in that way? 
I've, I've signed NDAs now out the door, Neil. I can't talk about anything. But, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's going to be a good watch and I hope I don't cock proud, you know, All no right. matter what happens. Uh, I think it's going to be a good watch for everybody. Okay, you're a Northsider, aren't you, who moved to the South Side, played for Napiershig. Your dad was a chef before you. Was that, the, is that, what, is that where you that, started? Was that the interest? That's correct, yeah. Um, from a very young age, I was involved in the cooking scene. Um, my mum and dad, obviously, they didn't want me to become a chef because they were saying, you're too social, you're not going to get up in the morning, you're not going to do this. And them telling me that, I shouldn't be a chef kind of want me, wanted me to, to be a chef even more um, my dad always had well I was always in the kitchen I don't think he wanted me in there because I was just in the way but from a very young age I was involved around food and then I went to CIT I did culinary studies out there for two years and then I uh, went on to work in the Maryborough Hotel for a couple of years with Jerry Allen and Brendan Brosnan and uh, I ended up with uh, Paul Lane in the River Lee before I shipped off to America and, six years ago and how did you manage to do that jump because it's not easy to get into America to work was it, was it some kind of sponsored visa or something like that that's exactly what it was. Uh, I put my CV up on Indeed in the summer of 2018. I think I put it up in like mid-July uh, just to find jobs around Cork. And then a couple of weeks later, this lady from Workaway, it's a hospitality program that searches for people to go work in country clubs across America. And um, I think we just did one or two interviews. She rang me one night and said, you know, um, hi Ryan, this is uh, such and such from Workaway. Uh, would you like to go to America? We'll pay for your flights, pay for your visa, find you a job and find your accommodation. So nah, I was like, this is a scam. Sure, nah, you want nah, not interested. <laughs> No, I know it sounds too good to be true, but if you want to come to the Shelburne, I'll set up two interviews for you. And then lo and behold, next week I was in the Shelburne, did two interviews. I was offered both jobs, took one. Um, and I think from the phone call, from the first phone call till the day I, I actually stepped foot on the plane, I think it was about six weeks. It was so quick. Wasn't it? it so, was a, so quick. It was like lightning. Where, where, so did you, where did you end up when you went out first? Well, I actually ended up um, in a country club called Admiral's Cove in Jupiter in um, South Florida. Wow, uh, Florida. Worked six months there. I thought I'd be, thought I'd be home after six months because it's a season visa you do six months in Florida and then you can get sponsorship to go six months in the, uh, six months somewhere else it's usually you know up in the, the north part of America where you'll have like, your Boston's or New York's and your Massachusetts um, sorry Boston's in Massachusetts yeah. I ended up going to Martin's Vineyard then and doing my summers there and uh, wow. landed back in Florida full time now Wow Martin's Vineyard must have been special though Oh, it was amazing. I met some some characters up there, you know, like obviously it's, you know, a big money town up there and it's it's crazy. But, you know, some, some of the people up there, once they're on the island, because it is a pretty secluded island, you know, it takes a while to get there. You can only get there by plane and, and boat, obviously. But like when people are there, they just want to let their hair down. You know, yeah. there's lots of, you know, yeah. I met lots of big people up there. I cooked for Barack Obama, cooked for uh, Denzel Washington and um, who else was there? Bill Murray was there for a while. But it's, when they're up there, they're, they don't really care about who's around. They just want to let their hair down. You know, they all have houses there and it's, it's a crazy 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 place to does walk. Obama I can imagine that Bill Murray would let his hair down but does does Barack Obama let his hair down well he, he did yeah well he did he did see uh, secret security come in and you know take all our phones and stuff but we didn't know until he was already there because they don't make any reservations because they don't want anybody knowing he's coming um, so I mean these lads in suits and black glasses walked into the kitchen one night and they were like lads phones up on the table and uh, we didn't know what was going like and then before we knew it then we know Barack Obama and his family were in the dining room so it's pretty cool you know alright that's so you're not taking phone calls or making phone calls or taking pictures or videos on Instagram exactly but you know because exactly. if you're in Martha's Vineyard or you're in areas of Florida what have you the customers must be wealthy they must be demanding if they're famous as you say are they very demanding? Are they rude? You know, do you have issues no, with them ever? Not no? at all. Not at all. Never. No, no, no. Everyone's quite chill. You know, I, I must say, like, I've never really come across anybody where, like, we, we had a, a problem with them. You know, everybody has their needs and that's fine. It's the hospitality industry and we're here to serve people, you know, so that's about it. And what, like, what do you love to cook? Is there any one particular dish that you love to cook more than any? What is? 
<laughs> bodice. I miss, but there's, if I miss anything most and I, and I love to cook it is bodice you know what I mean That's, it doesn't matter what kind of food we're putting on plates if it's fillet steaks and foie gras you know bring me back to a sheet of bodice all day long <laughs> and have you put like bodice ribs you're saying on the rib or do you boil them in a yeah, pot yeah bodice ribs uh, but well, obviously you salt them overnight and then you cook them in a pot with your onions, your swede, your cabbage, the whole lot. Have you served uh, I've, them? I've in, a, have you served them down in the restaurant in Florida? I've I've never served them, but I've you know if, uh, the odd time I'll do it for staff meal and people you know can't believe you know what it is, how simple it is, and how delicious it is, and you know it is it's a testament to, to Cork, and uh, I try to bring Cork wherever I go with me. It's a t- I was going to say it's a typical North Side dish, but not necessarily. I know of it on the South Side as well. So, not at all. You know what? I might try and fancy it up somehow down the line. We'll see what happens. I might get it on a menu somewhere. <laughs> yeah, maybe the Florida version of Cork bodice. And what what do you miss from home food wise? I mean, I'm assuming you get home. What do you like to eat when you're at home? Things you miss? Uh, so I was home three weeks ago and I'm not going to lie. The first thing I did once I got off the plane is I went straight to the deli and I got a jambon. Like, <laughs> jambons are just, you know, they're, they're the bee's knees and you can't get them anywhere in the world except Cork, you know, good ones anyway, you know. So a good jambon. Being a, well, I know you, you came from the north side out to Douglas, I believe. So what about a trip to KC's, no? Uh, KC's, no, I'd be more of a Murphy's man myself. In Blackpool? <laughs> Yeah, Murphy's in back, so I'd be more of a Murphy's man myself. Have you had the you know, sloppy... I have, I have, have to support the family as well. Have, are, are, are they family, yeah? Yeah, the St. Ledger's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Richard St. Ledger, Davy St. Ledger, they're, um, they're my cousins. So you've had a couple of sloppy Joes, I suppose, have you? Sloppy Foley's. Oh, sorry, you. sloppy Foley's. <laughs> 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 you think I should know, have you eaten enough of them? I was about to say... Anyway, listen, do you think that Hell's Kitchen and the appearance upon it will benefit your career? I'd like to think so. You know, I mean, we I think everybody on the show did well. I, mean, I think everybody wanted to take it as far as they possibly could. But I, there's, there's nothing bad could possibly come, um, could, could come of it, you know. And it's it's one of those things where you, you make it or you don't, but you got to do with what you have. I know. You, know, you got you, whatever cards you're dealt, you know, you have to kind of deal with it, you know. You but feel, I think it'll be good. You feel hopefully, sorry hopefully. for the old devils who are told, leave Hell's Kitchen, don't you? I really do. Anyway, it's awful. <laughs> Because you know, yeah, yeah, I know it's an awful feeling. So, would you recommend chefing then to young people as a career? One hundred percent, one hundred ten percent. In spite of have, the long hours, the unsocial hours, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, you have to love it. It's one of the best careers out there. If you if you really you know if you really get into it and you you, you delve into it, and you get deep into cooking and, and what it means to people. And you know when you're cooking for somebody and you see the smile on their face, that's what it's all about for us. Is to be able to cook because you know cooking is an art of love. And I think you know like you put yourself on a plate and when you see somebody enjoy something that you put your heart and soul into. I mean that's what it's all about. There's so, no better feeling. There really, really is. So, do you actually check the plates when they come back in, Chef? Well, I don't check the plates. No, Jesus. You know, some people will, you know, turn their nose up to some stuff. People might be full. Um, you can you can never take you know criticism too bad because in this industry, like, you have to be able to take criticism because if you don't, you know, it's not for you. It will chew you up and spit you out. Yeah, but you're just proud of every dish you put out, and that's good enough. Well, you're only as good as your last dish, so you have to be better every single day. So, if you recommend chefing as a career to young people, do you recommend they they learn their trade and chef here or travel? like you did I would recommend to everybody to, to get into it at least get a little bit of classical training under your belt it doesn't even have to be classical but get some training under your belt and then go travel the best way to learn is to obviously to travel get out of Cork uh, when I told my dad you know I was going to be a chef he said okay if you're going to be a chef he said you need to leave he said because you're not going to be your best you know staying in Cork yeah, I know. You can always come back, but go international to get even more experience. So home for you at the moment is the Mirasol Country Club, 
Palm Beach, is it? Yeah, yeah, Mirasol uh, Country Club and Palm Beach Gardens there. It's right on PGA. Big golf club. It's a couple of courses here. It's right across from uh, the PGA National. So, you know, we do a couple of uh, golf tournaments every year. Honda Classic was here. So, yeah, it's it's big, big golf around here, you know. And do you play golf? I don't have, don't have time for golf at all. I wish I did, but I don't. So if you don't have time, and what do you do to unwind or switch off? I mean, usually we're here now, it's, it's the summer months here for us, so we actually have a bit of time. So, I mean, like, we're only five, ten minutes from the beach, you know, going for walks on the beach, hanging around with the lads. There's not much else to do, you know, in the summer months because it's so dead here because, you know, most of the population head back up, you know, to, you know, um, New York and Boston because it gets mighty, mighty hot down here yeah, as well. So, yeah. you know, hanging up by the pool at the beach is usually downtime for us. It can't be a bad complaint when you think of Irish weather, right? Really, really not. You know, I was home a couple of weeks ago and I like to think I brought home the weather with me for a little bit of a heat wave. Uh, the second <laughs> I left then, it was pouring again. Taking a walk up McCartan Street and, you know, down off of Plunkett Street, I couldn't believe the food scene and, you know, how far it's come. I've only been gone six years, but just to see, you know, the quality of food and the versatility and the types of restaurants we have now is, is, is unbelievable. Cork really is the food capital of Ireland, I believe. And it's only going to get better, you know, five, ten years down the line. Hopefully, if I'm successful, I can bring some of my success home and, you know, open up a flagship at home. And, you know, it's just great to see everybody doing well, you know, like the likes of Glass Curtain and Goldie, Brian and, and Ashling there, you know, uh, good friends of mine. And it's just, you know, fantastic to see everybody thriving it in is. the food industry yeah, back and home. And there's a huge variety now, isn't there? More, And it takes somebody like you to remind us of that, having been away, coming back and seeing it. You know, you kind of get a surprise. We kind of tend to take it for granted, the choice, but that's great to hear coming from you. Would you like then to ultimately open something or or come back home or would you do would you do both I'd probably end up doing both down the line you know again I'm pretty young my career is really only kind of taking off now as such so I'd like to see what happens down the line uh, hopefully if I'm successful I can do a little bit of a flagship at home or I can open up something but I would love to have some sort of involvement in the Cork food scene at some stage of my life 100% listen it's going to be fantastic to see you on the show albeit we don't know how far but it's a marvellous achievement to get honoured in the first place and it will do your career a wonderful wonderful benefit I can't wait to see you my friend uh, don't be a stranger when you're back on Lee side. do you hear me absolutely not absolutely not Neil thanks very much look after yourself chef take care for now text the Neil Prenderville show now 086 8104106 Red FM i you just listen to that ad there about fakes and frauds and getting text messages and kids saying this is my new number lost my phone AI now is a big big problem because what it's doing now is it is replicating the sound of your son or your daughter's voice and it is leaving you voicemails from supposedly your son or your daughter and it is the sound of your son or daughter's voice except it's replicated and made up by AI. Uh, More on that maybe in the coming days. Best of luck now to Chef Ryan Sullivan from Cork who appears on Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay, the latest series, which starts tomorrow. Interestingly, just very quickly, because I want to wrap up, up, wrap up with a bit of good news, uh, but he mentioned there when I asked him what he wants, what he misses when he comes home. Uh, I thought he would have said a breakfast roll, but he didn't. He said a jambon. Now, I've seen them in delis. Okay. I've never had one. I was, what are they? I was going to say, I was, I was, with, with all respect, I've, I sometimes wonder, are you some sort of android that you don't know what a jambon is? I never I, had one. How can you never had a jambon? I never life? did. I swear to God. So I, I have seen them. I know we're under time pressure. Look, a jambon, very quickly, is a, is a pastry. Um, it was originally named, I think it's pat- like a pastry of ham on, which is ham. And we literally just took it, the name ham. So we've literally just called it ham. So why don't we call it a ham bon then? Hey, there you go now. That's a new one. I, th- so I can see delis on the country. Puff so it's puff pastry, egg, uh, grated cheese and bits of ham. 
You and called it hangover food. Oh, it's st- it's just kind of like it's flaky, it's crumbly, it's greasy, it's cheesy, it's it's everything you want. Do you only in... eat the one, or do you have to have two or three? Yeah, you can have a few. Some some of the delis do like uh, they do two for a fiver, you know, or they do three for a fiver, or whatever. They do, they'll do deals on them. But yeah, sound... ja- a jambon is kind of it is a bit of cheat food. Like it, it's it look it's a pastry. It's going to be fattening, but like life is short. Yeah, but it's mean? not a good idea if you have kids going in. I oh, know I sound like an old flan. Here we go. Lunchtime buying three jambons. Look, I, I don't know. I think a jambon is something that is, for me, it's a treat. It's like on a day like today now, if I was stuck and I was out in the lashing rain and I was going into a garage, I think, I think I'd pick up a jambon or two. Because it's the way the cheese melts in your mouth with the everything. It's just it's I'm gonna really try good. You should. You should. Okay. I, you know what? I'll get you one tomorrow morning. I'll, I'll bring one to into work tomorrow morning and you can try okay, one. Okay, bring I'll, it on, I'll, baby. Bring it on. Listen, tomorrow as well, I also want to delve into our Ireland's favourite home-cooked dinners. What do people cook most in Cork kitchens. We got some great responses to that. Bodice and cabbage was also very popular, but I'll do more on that tomorrow. But a massive response by text to Amy Fuller's story, the story of Sean and Amy and their three young children. And Sean with a very aggressive cancer diagnosis. I was telling you about um, the GoFundMe that's been set up. If you would like to make a contribution, then you can do so on GoFundMe. It's called Making Precious Memories for the Fullers. Lots of people texting um, and much people, many of them, uh, shocked that the government of the state wouldn't help more. But the idea is to make as many memories as possible. Uh, I have other calls based on other people who went through similar circumstances tomorrow. But I just want to touch base very quickly, just very quickly with Amy. I know we had a good chat earlier on this morning. But Amy, good morning again. Um, I just, I just wanted to say that you were talking about wanting to make memories, you know, to do things with the family and the kids together. Would you believe that John Looney from Cork Children's Hospital Fund was listening to our conversation, right? And he called us a few minutes ago and he says that he would like to send the entire family to Euro Disney when Sean is strong enough to fly. Oh my God. That's incredible. Isn't it? That's absolutely incredible. You'll make some serious memories there, I can tell you. I had to take the kid. We had we had your Disney booked for last year, and I had to take the kids on my own because Sean wasn't well enough to come. There will be some stage when he will be strong enough to go, though. There will yeah. be, and you will all go together at a time that suits you. That's amazing. I yeah. can't thank him enough. I know. They do fabulous work. And it's another example of the generosity and kindness of Cork people. So I'm going to allow you liaise with John Looney yourself to work out a date that suits, right? Um, Brilliant, yeah. And listen, that's something to hang on to and something to look forward to. That's amazing. That's more than we could ever hope for. I know. I can't I know. thank you enough. I hope you continue to get good news and that there's a, you know, that you're on, and he's hopefully will be on a path to full recovery. Hold on to at least that hope, you know. But I just said I'd let you know, thought it might brighten your day a little bit to hear that news. Oh my God, it's amazing. Thanks a million, Nathan. No, don't try and do anything. They do fabulous work and they're mad keen to hook up with you to make it happen and make it possible. Euro Disney awaits. All right, Amy? Thank you. Thank right, you so much. We'll talk again. We'll Thank talk again. Uh, the GoFundMe is called Making Precious Memories for the Fullers. And, you know, that is about making precious memories for the time that could well be left for Sean. Um, and uh, Amy and the three children, Sasha, Millie and Bo, are in our thoughts. Your texts are welcome and your calls too. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Stay safe for what's left of this storm and the wind and the rain. 
I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.